Jake from New Jersey. It's the SNL Nerds, the show where two comics from New Jersey nerd out about Saturday Night Live. I'm your co-host, Darren Patterson. And I'm your co-host, John Trumbull. John Trumbull, how you doing, good sir? Uh, hey, I'm doing all right. Getting uh, good, Memorial- good grades. Future so bright. Gotta wear shades. Hey, hey, nice. I see what you did there. Look, yeah. Look at you. Kicking with the lyrics. Yeah, I, I am I am hip with the uh, with the current references. Right. Absolutely. And you got your second uh, vaccine shot too. You're all. I did. I did. I got my I got my second Moderna. How, uh, how to treat you? Any right? big ill effects? So that's okay. that's good. No, uh, you're not. You know, you haven't gotten your mutant powers yet. Doctor Xavier hasn't sent you a letter or anything like that. You're still a mild man on Trumbull. Okay, first of all, Professor Xavier. What I say? You said Doctor Xavier, and I cannot Damn understand. <laughs> I apologize to uh, I apologize, Xavier. I didn't mean to uh, misrepresent your uh, your uh, doctorate. Or he worked hard for that fake degree in uh, mutantology. <laughs> I don't even know what his degree is in. <laughs> But, yeah, where did he go? Where did he study? We don't even know that. I don't know. We don't have time to get into this. We have a special guest today, Darren. <laughs> we do. Whoa, you're right. <laughs> Holy Toledo. Uh, guys, yeah, we have an amazing guest here today. We have, because uh, uh, today on today's episode, we'll be talking about the SNL season 46. We'll be doing our annual wrap up. And here to help us out with that season 46 wrap up, uh, we have the writer for uh, the AV Club who's done the SNL wrap ups weekly. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, for like four years now, yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, yeah. no, wait, more than four years. You were telling me tw- 2014, isn't that right, Dennis? Yes, uh, I was, I was, uh, season 34, episode 14 was my first Jim Parsons and Beck in 2014. Okay, wow. I and I, I screwed up your intro because Darren was gearing up for it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to say anything. it's Dennis Perkins, ladies and gentlemen. Give Dennis Perkins, yeah, Hi, everybody, hey, Long time, first I, time. Welcome, Dennis. Thank you so much for doing Thank this. You. This, this, this is fun. So, yeah, thanks for, it. yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for being on a podcast with us. I mean, how's the, how's the uh, pandemic uh, been treating you? How's the end of days been? Uh... <laughs> the end of days. Uh, I was, I was uh, talking off air uh, with John about uh, my wife and I are both freelance writers. Uh, her name's Emily L. Stevens. She writes for the AV Club as well. And other places uh we were ideally suited in some ways because we work from home we didn't have to worry about any of that stuff so um it's just the cabin fever and madness and despair that we've had to worry about same, <laughs> same. yeah <laughs> and uh and are you are you in a part of the u.s where um like the the covid like you know spikes or rates are relatively low or high or... uh yeah uh we're in maine uh our oh. governor is a sane person for once uh wow. well that's and, always uh, nice yeah so it's been good uh you know we're up over 50 percent here and and uh yeah we're, we're doing all right yeah, fantastic my friend cool, fantastic. Cool. awesome uh yeah yeah so we, we had you on because uh you know you're a fantastic writer and we always i always notice you do those uh great SNL uh, weekly wrap-ups on the AV Club. And so, I mean, you know, every time we have a guest on, we just got to ask them, um, you know, about their SNL journey, their origin story. So, (laughs) I mean, would you consider yourself an SNL nerd? Are you a casual fan? Um, And if you are a nerd, like, um, what was it that hooked you? Was it a certain episode, a certain performer? Were you bitten by a radioactive SNL cast member? 
Yes, I was, yes. Written, I was written by a radioactive uh, Garrett Morris way back. Oh, then. that's how far back I go. Um, yes, uh, I am. I am old. I'm older than the show itself, and uh, so I was. Um, uh, when the, when the show started, I was I was six, uh, and I can't say I stayed up uh, to watch it every night as a six year old. That would be a cool origin story, but I did become aware of it pretty quickly. Um, one of my earliest SNL memories is uh, being a fan of the show and um, my parents having a cocktail party and me uh, uh, explaining to some of their uh, polite guests that SNL was super great and the show happened to be on because it was a Saturday night and um, they flipped it on and it happened to be a, a sketch with Garrett called Bad Clams. I don't know if anyone remembers Bad Clams. Uh <laughs> I know the name of it. I don't think I've it's if I've seen it, I haven't seen it in forever. Exactly. And um it, it didn't go well. And uh, I remember at the time saying to the people who were politely saying, uh-huh, that um, oh, that they it gets better. And I've been <laughs> I've been kind of doing that for for the entire 46 seasons. That that is an interesting cycle because I remember the first time I saw the SNL was when my parents were out of town for the weekend and I basically tricked my babysitter into thinking that I could stay up to watch Saturday night live, uh, which I traditionally could not. And we were watching it together and she was like a regular viewer of it. And I remember watch, watching it and this was like sometime in the early eighties. And I, I said at some point, is this supposed to be funny? And she was <laughs> like, no, well, this is about what it usually is. And I was like, Oh, okay. And then she, then it kind of came out that I didn't usually watch the show. And then she was like, John, come on. Uh, <laughs> she was always because I basically tricked her into watching it. Oh, I think boy. that's a, I think that's kind of a, a common denominator for a lot of longtime SNL fans is that I don't know if you, the 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 story of, about the famous film critic Pauline Kale, who had notoriously high standards and was a huge Saturday Night Live fan. And oh, I didn't know that about her. Yeah, and the 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 story that's I can't remember where I read it, but that. Um, she would have people over at her house to watch it. And she would always kind of wave off bad shows by saying, oh, it's just an off week. <laughs> so, you know, that's yeah. <laughs> that's sort of where I've been for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. <laughs> I mean, and also it's always weird or always kind of difficult when you sort of introduce a show to somebody saying, oh, the show is hilarious. You've got to watch it. Because you never know what people's like sense of humor are. Some people, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes you can introduce something to someone and their maybe sense of humor is a little bit not quite to that. Like, you know, if you saw somebody mm -hmm. like a Kyle Mooney sketch or a, like a Fred <laughs> Armisen sketch, like odds are either they'll like it or they won't. Or, you know, and SNL kind of does that a lot. Like sometimes it'll have a sketch where it's more broad. Sometimes it'll be more absurdist and surreal. Other times it'll just be too dry. So you're always taking a risk with like introducing something like that to like a, to somebody because you never sure. know what they like. Yep. That's true. That's true. I mean, I look at it like I follow SNL the way some people follow sports teams, because like Darren and I, neither one of us is a, is a sports person. Um, but, you know, it's like if, if you showed somebody a baseball game for the first time, you wouldn't be apologizing for every time a player struck out, you know? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> you're yeah. still rooting for your team. Yeah, so that's... That but yeah, yeah, I mean, that's the thing I, I never like when people say, 
like, oh, SNL hasn't been funny since blah blah blah. Ugh. You know, insert year here right. where mm-hmm. I was in high school. Because that just have you watched nah, that just really... blah blah blah? No, exactly, exactly. That that really uh, you know gets my goat because it's just I don't. There, like, if you ever think about like the year you think it was the best, odds are it wasn't all you know killer material. Odds are mm-hmm. there were some clunkers in there, and it was like touch and go, like it always is. You just you know have selective memory and just you know choose to remember the good stuff, the amazing stuff. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, but I agree with your sports analogy because, like, there are people who say, "Oh, I know why SNL hasn't been good since blah blah blah," but they still root for, I don't know, like the Cincinnati Bengals or like <laughs> like a team that hasn't done anything in like decades, like you know Buffalo yeah. Bills or no, no Buffalo Bills have done pretty good stuff, but you know what I mean. Like, and um, and and just like a sports team, they have rebuilding years, and you know sometimes it takes a little while to get the lineup that you need. So, absolutely. Uh, and uh, speaking of which, I don't know. I, part of me thinks we're like on the precipice of having a rebuilding year for the next for the uh, upcoming season, just because I mean we'll get into it in a bit, but like with this season, it there definitely seems like there's about to be a shift happening. I definitely kind of you feel like it's kind of coming like halfway through this season, but like I'll we'll get into that in, a, in a, a little bit later. What do, what do you think, uh, Dennis? How how was this season overall for you? Um, I'm. Yeah, I, I'm with Darren. I think I think we're we're seeing a show where it's kind of phasing out some um, some stalwart kind of people, and it's still looking for who the next group of of stars is going to be. I like this season. I thought you know, uh, uh, apart from one example that everyone can probably guess, I, I didn't really see a terrible episode in there. Um, and a couple of very, very good ones. And did and this terrible ones, episode uh, involve a billionaire? A billionaire. Uh yeah. I think I mean I haven't seen his tax returns, but I think so. Yeah. Okay. Did his name rhyme with Felon Husk? Felon Husk. Is that Reggae John Page? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, wait, no, that doesn't rhyme. Uh yeah, yeah, I think that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah uh, Darren and I, we were dreading that one. We were just <laughs> like I don't want to watch this, but I have to watch it because we do a show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like tell me about that it. Ep- yeah, <laughs> that know. episode. That up. Ep- I mean, I read your review of it, and and I felt you were. I felt like you were too kind to it. Like that one was a chore to get through. There were, mm-hmm. there were several moments throughout that episode where I was like, I, I think I have to tap out. I can't. I can't go on. I yeah. I can't with this. I wanted to. I mean, I, obviously, I'm not a fan of the person or the idea to book him, and and, but looking back over it, I you know I don't and I, if I could ditch, I mean, I love the AV Club in in so so many ways, but if I could get rid of the the letter grade thing, I would. But it's, uh-huh. it's people like that, um, so I do that at the end, and in toting up all the pluses and minuses on that episode, I had to admit that I was like, you know, that was kind of a good sketch, and I I. I had to be fair. I think I, I gave it a C plus in the end, but yeah, there are a lot of qualifiers in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now you, when you're writing for the AV club, you're, you're more or less like writing your review of the show as the show is going on. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah. I usually that finish... sounds so stressful. You know, I don't do much writing during the actual episode. I do a lot of note taking and uh-huh. kind of ruminating during the commercials. And then I start writing at 1 a.m. And I usually finish around 6 or 7. Wow. Okay. Okay. Because I, I, 
I was thinking they went up faster than that. So I was just like, I, I've, I've sometimes looked and I'm just being like, how does he get these up so fast? <laughs> it, de it depends on the show. Sometimes they just seem to fly. And sometimes it is absolutely like doing self-surgery. Um, yeah. And it's never the ones you think. Sometimes it, sometimes you, uh, you, there'll be a show and you think it's really funny. And then it's somehow when you get into it, it's a lot harder to actually articulate. Um, I, yeah. And yeah. It, there's only so many ways you can say, I like this or I didn't like yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> this good. So. This not good. <laughs> so, okay. Well, maybe before we, we get any more in depth about season 46 in general, uh, why don't we just do a quick review of who the hosts and musical guests were? I've got a list here. So I will just read them uh, real fast. We had 20 episodes this season. Uh, that's a little less than they usually have, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think it's usually 23, right? Yeah, the 23 sounds right to me. I didn't double check that, but yeah. But uh, they were they were under very special circumstances. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, like, I mean, when we started, when they started this season, uh, the 2020 election was still happening. Yeah. Uh, and this was them returning to uh, the studio with, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with like a limited audience and like the first responders and whatnot. So it was... Uh, they were creeping back to, uh, you know, the normal, which, uh, yeah. which, you know, it ended, you know, the, with the last um, episode of the season, it ended at full capacity and everybody vaccinated. It was a, it was a huge uh, tonal shift. A, a very interesting arc to the season. But, okay, well, let's see who we had uh, coming in and out of Studio 8H this year. Uh, season premiere was uh, Chris Rock with uh, Megan the Stallion. Uh, next, we had Bill Burr with Jack White, uh, then Issa Rae and Justin Bieber, uh, then Adele and her, and uh, next we had John Mulaney and The Strokes. After that, episode six, Dave Chappelle, Foo Fighters. Episode seven, uh, Jason Bateman and Morgan Wallen. Episode eight, eight uh, Timothy Chalamet and Bruce Springsteen in the E Street Band. Episode 9, Kristen Wiig and Dua Lipa. Episode 10, John Krasinski and Machine Gun Kelly. Episode 11, Dan Levy uh, and Phoebe Bridgers. Episode 12, Regina King and Nathaniel Rateliff. Episode 13, uh, Reggae Jean Page and Bad Bunny. Uh, episode 14, Nick Jonas uh, was the host and musical guest. Episode 15, Maya Rudolph and Jack Harlow. Episode 16, Daniel Kaluuya and St. Vincent. And episode 17, Carrie Mulgan and Kid, Kid Cuddy. Episode 18, <sighs> Elon Musk <laughs> and Miley Cyrus. <laughs> episode 19, Keegan-Michael Key and Olivia Rodrigo. And then finally, our season finale, uh, which we covered just last week, was uh, Anya Taylor-Joy and Little Nas X. Uh, yeah, there's a... A lot of people ran ran through it, and uh, I, don't, I guess overall, I guess I could say this: like, um, I think, like I said earlier, how I felt like this season seemed to see, like, you could feel the change. I definitely felt that the change, like, halfway through this season, because, like, with the first few episodes, like I said, we were still going through the 2020 election. Uh, we had Jim Carrey as uh, Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. um, we had those, you know, unnecessarily long cold opens that were like seven <laughs> or eight minutes long. And then after the election, like uh, around the, um, with, I guess the Dave Chappelle episode, you definitely, I felt the shift change. Like uh, like a lot of times the cold opens kind of changed. They were a little bit shorter. They weren't necessarily political. 
Um, you know, we had the they sort of changed to like the, the Britney Spears talk show cold opens or they had like cold open that, like I said, weren't even political. Uh, they they, um, they had like a lot of the newer cast members kind of coming into the forefront. So you definitely I definitely felt like there was like a little bit of a shift after the election. Like it was like almost like two separate seasons a little bit. We, we as a nation exhaled, I think. <laughs> That's it. That's it. We were like, phew. <laughs> Everywhere. Um, yeah, but that those are just, you know, my two cents. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you do you wanna maybe we can get into some of our favorite sketches of uh, uh sure. Um do we wanna cover like the musical guests first? We can just um, kind of briefly cover we don't tend to go too in depth into the musical guests, uh, because we're uh what's the word old. But um <laughs> But, you know, it's a significant part of the show, and I feel like we should cover it. We should at least give it some lip service, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sure. I have my top three that I remember. Uh, okay. I mean, there were, there were a lot of good performances. I thought the, the Megan Thee Stallion performance was interesting because, like, uh, you know, the, she was saying some pretty uh, you know, pro-Black, uh, Black Lives Matter type of statements that she kind of worked into her, her set. Um, of course, Little Nas X was... Uh, was uh, quite provocative, you know, shirtless dudes in uh, leather pants. I mean, splitting his really pants. Really... And... Yeah, the, the 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 pants split heard around the world, <laughs> of course. Um, but I would say my top three favorites overall were um, number three. I would say Phoebe Bridgers because I didn't know much about her, but I actually enjoyed her music quite a bit. And uh, even that a little, you know, guitar smashing moment, which you know turned out to be all kind of set up and, uh, you know, wasn't as spontaneous as people thought. It was all staged. It was still, like, I guess the illusion of danger, which I, I appreciated. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just like, oh, it's not really dangerous. It's like it was all set up. Okay, I'm fine with that. Uh, number two, I would give it to St. Vincent. Um, she's another performer. I knew some, I knew a little about her, but I didn't know too much about her. But, um, you know, seeing her there really impressed me. She's a, a true showman, a performer. Her, she was definitely like evoking old school David Bowie vibes, and um, you know she can she can play a mean guitar, and I really dug that. And uh, number one, I gotta give it to Jack White, just because I'm a huge, I've been a huge White Stripes fan for ever since the uh, early aughts, and um, just to see him sort of take over the spot because I think he was he was he was there replacing Morgan Wallen because more yeah. you know Morgan Wallen mm -hmm. wasn't following uh, COVID protocols, so we. He filled in for him, and he he actually ended up being up being way better than Morgan Wallen. Him just like shredding the guitar, just, just in general, in. like as a person. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Like uh, I mean, again, I've been a big fan of him for a while, and just to see him just just he like when he came on, there was a whole burst of energy that just came right in through the whole episode. Mm -hmm. Like he 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 raised the, the levels. And the also, show, so. it was it was like just after Eddie Van Halen. Uh, passed away, so he was he was uh, playing a guitar that Eddie Van Halen gave to him or made for him. I forget what it, which it was now, but he was he was playing that as like a tribute, right? Yeah, because like I remember we were thinking he would play like an Eddie Van Halen song, like maybe Eruption or something, but mm -hmm. he ended up just like doing his stuff and playing a uh, Van Halen guitar, which is I was I was fine with, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Jack White's my number one for this season. I think I think Jack White would be my number one too. Um, that sounds confusing. Uh, <laughs> I, I like Jack White the the best. Uh, I also 
these are very typical choices for a guy in my demographic, but you know, I, I also like the Strokes, the Foo Fighters, and Bruce Springsteen. I don't think any of the people who were new to me really floated my boat. I, I don't think there was anybody like, oh my God, I gotta, you know, start listening to them. So yeah, what what about you, Dennis? Um yeah, I, I, you know, I, uh, I am also old, and so uh, I, I make a joke. My, my, <laughs> the subject heading for my musical uh, segment in, in the reviews is always, I am hip to the musics of today. Yes, uh, I love I am, that. I am old, and uh, there are often people on the show that I do not know, and um, sometimes, uh, you know, this year I really kind of was overall impressed. Uh, I mean, on the one hand, you had like Bieber, which I thought was the most unintentionally hilarious musical uh guest i've seen in a long time um but then uh number one for me has got to be uh little nas x i i thought that was just an absolutely transfixing transformative performance for american tv and for him and for snl i just really dug it i dug it so much that i didn't even notice that he split his pants i had to play catch up the next day uh, <laughs> <laughs> um uh I just thought for for him for this guy to be I you know I compared him in the review uh, the, with with all the love in my heart to to Madonna in the sense that you know what he's doing is so intentionally provocative but also so good that um I don't know it just seemed like it's going to be something that is going to stick out from this season as being culturally relevant for a long time um, Yeah I could see I, that I dug it um uh jack white was great i loved kid cuddy um i thought his his whole uh his whole thing i mean there was a certain comeback vibe to it some kind of an uh just knowing what he's gone through in the last few years there was a certain intimacy to it and a rawness to it that i really liked um right his nods to uh kurt cobain like dressing in the uh um... yeah the great mm -hmm. the, the the shag green sweater and the dress yeah. and the second yeah that was yeah. that was something to say and um, I accidentally got uh, blurbed by St. Vincent's uh, uh, PR people. My my uh, my editor, one of my editors, Eric Adams, sent it, sent it to me the next day. Uh, just something I wrote about St. Vincent just being like, yeah, that kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, Bowie kind of David Byrne kind of art rock uh, weirdness. Uh, it was a theatrical event. Uh, that I really liked. I thought, you know, because everybody goes on mm -hmm. and play, can go on and play a song, but but it's the SNL the SNL moments, musical moments that I really remember are usually, you know, I still remember as a kid being absolutely just knocked out of my mind by Bowie singing TCV15 in a dress with like Klaus Nomi as one of his backup singers and just like saying, "What am I looking at?" And uh, oh yeah, that's that was wild. I remember. Yeah, that. I, was like, I was like, "Whoa, what are we doing here?" Yeah, that stuff will stick in your head. So I, yeah, I got to give it up to Saint Vincent too. All right, yeah, I'm gonna have to go back and and check out uh, his performances again. Um, yeah, and give that another look. I didn't have uh, a chance to review the musical performances as much as I would have liked because I was I was too busy reviewing comedy sketches. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah so uh do you, how do you want to do this do you want to like maybe talk about the pre-tapes first and then the live sketches or do we just i don't know yeah should we split it up and and do we consider the pre-tapes as something different from the live sketches because i noticed when i put together my list i did have a lot of pre-tapes on there uh 
Yeah, maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll do pre-taped, then live sketches, and maybe and we'll weave in uh, maybe weekend update segments or pieces here and there. Okay. Um, I've got another question before we start diving in. Uh, where where are we standing on cut for time sketches? Should mm. we include them or or do they not count because they didn't air on the show and they just went up on YouTube? Um, hmm. I would. I don't know. That's, a, that's an interesting question. I would say maybe they wouldn't count, but we could definitely give them like a little, uh, you know, a little nod at the at the end of the show. Little little honorable mention. A little a little asterisk. That's the yeah. word I'm thinking about. Honorable. Yes. I would I would say that. That's just me. Hey. Okay. Okay. That that good by you, Dennis. Oh, hey, I'm the guest here. But yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> no, no. What you say will determine the course of this <laughs> podcast. Right. Oh, it's man. all on your shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> then yes, let's do that. Okay. Okay. All right. Um well, yeah, I figured you know we could each we could each do like maybe a top five or something and just go back and forth amongst ourselves. And then if somebody names something that is on our that is on your list as well, you could just chime in and be like, oh yeah, that's on my list. And then we uh, can just all talk about that sketch at once. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Okay. All right. Who wants to start? Dennis, you're the guest. You yeah. want to start? <laughs> okay. Um uh, are we doing them in order or just, uh, I'm sorry, I, I missed the, are we doing pre-tapes first? Or are we doing live sketches or what are we doing? Uh, yeah. Does it matter? Yeah, it doesn't matter. What, whatever's okay. in your heart. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, Lordy. Uh, you know, I, I, I think just because uh, for no reason, I will pick um, from the John Mulaney episode, uh, the bird sketch, the cinema classics sketch. Mm. Um just because, you know, you say what you want about Saturday Night Live and what it should be and what it is and all the different aspects of it. But I laughed my ass off on that sketch during that sketch the entire way. And I just kept looking back. That's that was the funniest thing I saw all year on this on the show. And so uh, I would say that that would be that would be where I would start. Um, yeah, I yeah. I just rewatched that one a little <laughs> earlier today, and I had I don't think I'd watched it since that episode aired, and it has a lot of good lines in it. It's a, like uh, like John Mulaney's like the incredulous sheriff who's getting a phone call from Tippy Hendren, who's and and it's all the funnier if you've seen the birds, of course. Mm -hmm. But I think it works even if you haven't seen the birds. Uh, but yeah. but it has good lines like you know the birds just birded a man to death. <laughs> I wrote that one. <laughs> And and John Mulaney had a great line where he just goes, "You just said that the birds set fire to a gas station, so you need to explain that." <laughs> yeah, it seems like whenever they have John Mulaney on, they kind of do like maybe like a throwback episode, like something that's set in the fifties or forties, just because. Mm -hmm. I mean, the way John Mulaney talks and speaks, he has like an old soul to him, like an old school vibe to him. So they're like, "Oh, we got to put him in a like a Tippy Hedren sketch, or you know, something like a." Humphrey Bogart or something like that. Or yeah. Sound of Music or or The Birds in this case. Yeah, that, that was a strong sketch. That's yeah, that's on my list of uh, the best of the season, definitely. And like the, the thing I liked about it so much is, uh, first of all, I, you know, I, I am accused of and absolutely guilty of overanalyzing comedy, but um, sometimes... No, we don't stand is, for that here. I know. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes funny is funny. And, uh, and sometimes SNL puts things together in a way it just reminds you of what 
that aspect of the show is it's live tv it's got puppets it's got yeah. it's got crazy like uh prop work it's got um uh yeah Mulaney as it just doing the most perfect deadpan and uh it's got kate you know trapped in a phone booth overacting mm -hmm. just outstanding stuff top to bottom I just and, and whenever kate gets to imitate an old-timey actress i mean mm -hmm. that's she's just wonderful at that yeah one of my favorite things that she ever did was when uh, jk simmons was hosting and they did the casablanca scene and she's imitating ingrid bergman and oh she's just like no rick no and yeah <laughs> she, that was just great yeah, great choice do, do we know who wrote that one i did i didn't find any writers for this particular i sketch. couldn't either i i did check uh the uh as all the the sources that i had and i i could not find it uh, they okay just had a blank well, space so i don't know hat tip to whoever wrote that sketch yes hat uh, tip to since you. we don't have credits for it i am just gonna say that it was akira yashimura <laughs> wally the cute card guy and joey mohawk done i like it so great job guys joey mohawk does good work he does uh, okay, uh, yeah, I guess I'll go with one. Um, mm -hmm. So I was looking through all the sketches, and um, I mean, there's some sketches that, of course, immediately stand out in my head that were um, sort of uh, highlights of the season. But then there was one sketch that I kind of forgot about until I rewatched it, and then I was like, oh, yeah, this is a really good sketch. And um, I'm just going to speak a little bit about the mirror workout sketch from yeah. the Nick, Nick Jonas episode. <laughs> I think I've kind of blanked on that one. I didn't rewatch anything from the Nick Jonas episode. So why don't I, you refresh my memory on that? Yeah, I mean, I would absolutely give it a rewatch. It's basically, uh, so it has Chris Red and Mikey Day, and they're two guys working out in their apartment in front of one of those uh, workout mirrors. So basically it's a thing where you see the reflection of a trainer and you kind of work out with the trainer and the trainer, you know, it's kind of like Peloton, the Peloton bike, but like with the workout mirror. So right. See okay. Yes, I'm remembering this now. Right. So you'll, Nick Jonas was one of the trainers. It's like, all right, guys, time to time to get buff. Swole is the goal, and then they switch to another trainer, which is Heidi Gardner, to, you know, doing uh, more cardio with them, and then it switches to uh, Kate McKinnon dressed <laughs> as a like a middle aged housewife named Shannon Delgado. Saying, yes, my I did like this. Yes, <laughs> my name is Shannon Delgado, and I'm trapped in the mirror. I was rude to a gypsy, and I can't. <laughs> And like it takes this weird turn, and yes, but it, yes. it really works. Um, I just thought it was like I didn't again, I didn't know where the sketch was going. And then once you see Shannon Delgado as somebody who's trapped in the mirror through a gypsy curse and is forced to work out by a zoozle who guards the gate, and you see this huge uh Pete Davidson as like some type of gargoyle ghoul standing over him again, Pete Davidson doing some incredible work here, yeah. and then. And uh, yeah, this was a great sketch, just a great sketch. And the sketch had what a lot of um, sketches, you know, something that we kind of talked about, like how sketches don't really have like a solid ending uh, mm -hmm. nowadays in these, uh, you know. Yeah, these, and it, they, they did have time. a strong ending there. Yeah, like when I saw that ending, I was like, oh yeah, that sounds a solid <laughs> ending. They, that's a solid dismount. And just because I'm used to seeing SNL sketches where it kind of peters out, or it kind of ends with the external shot and then that's it, or just cutting off abruptly, just not having ending. And this had a great premise, had a great, you know, concept. You know, all the 
all the cast members were incredible, and it was like uh, we see Pete again. I hats off to Pete Davidson for, for doing it in great work here with just him sh- screaming at Shannon work work <laughs> Shannon yeah and it had and it had a really solid ending um again it's a sketch that I'm sure a few people may have forgotten about because there have been other sketches and whatnot that have kind of taken um you know have been have taken more center stage I guess but like don't for, go back and watch the um the mirror workout sketch people it's it's a classic I, th- I think I had forgotten that one because like like what I do over the course of the season because there's just so many sketches to try and remember I I when I go on YouTube I just make a playlist of like whatever I particularly liked in that show and then by the end of the year I've got a whole uh, playlist and I may put that up on our Twitter account once I have it all assembled but I'd totally forgotten mirror workout I might have forgotten to go through the Nick Jonas episode but that's a great choice Darren yeah, yeah I have no. it on my list too. Yeah, hey, that's, nice. I, absolutely. That, that, that sketch, is... by the way, was written by Anna Dresden, uh, Allison Gates, and Streeter Seidel. Yeah. I like I like that I didn't know where the sketch was going, and I love that it had an ending. God bless him. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it's old. It's, it's you know, it's it's old hat to to criticize SNL for that, but they don't write endings. So, um, but it just, yeah. it was, it was a perfect, perfect little sealed uh, 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 loop of a sketch and, um, and, uh, yeah, I dug it. That's, that's a good one. That's a good one. All right. So, uh, my turn, I'm going in no particular order. I'm going to get something from uh, episode 16, uh, Daniel Kluwa, uh, Beanie Babies. Oh, no, wait, I'm sorry. That's a, that's a cut for time sketch, which whoa, I Oh, whoa. Breaking the rules there. So that's, yeah, I'm breaking the rules. I, I keep forgetting that was that was a, a cut for time thing, and uh, all right, never mind. Uh, can am I allowed a mulligan and I'll do another choice? Sure, I'll okay. allow it. It's highly <laughs> irregular. I'll allow a mulligan. I'm going to do a sketch uh, from the Carrie Mulligan show. Hey, uh, <laughs> this is uh, the cold open for that show, Minnesota News Cold Open, where uh, the news yeah. anchors are having an on-air debate about the current racial issues in America. Uh, this one, it just it, we had the tension between the the black anchors and the white anchors. It had uh, Keenan and uh, Ego as the the blank uh, the black anchor ugh, the black anchors from this morning show, and then Kate McKinnon and Alex Moffat as the white co-anchors, and then Chris Red as the the poor weatherman who's just sort of caught in the <laughs> middle. And we we had such great lines like. Uh, yeah, no, I want to hear what Craig Jorgensen has to say about the black experience. <laughs> I, I thought this was really solid. It just it had a great point of view, and I just loved the tension that they had going. Uh, yeah, no, this was fantastic. I would say, I mean, with the exception of maybe the last uh, cold open on the Anya Taylor-Joy episode, this was probably my favorite cold open of the season. Mm-hmm. I I really enjoyed it. I really I like that it was only like a five minute sketch. It was short, which it, that's something we've talked about in the podcast about how the cold opens have just gone on and on and on, and just with no ending really in sight. I like it was short. It was tight. It had a great concept again, um, and yeah, it had something to say about you know racial tensions and you know you know black and white. And then they also threw in like a little thing about you know how 
where uh, I think it was like Chris Red was the uh, weatherman and mm-hmm. him talking about you know how you know seventeen ain't that young. It got creepy towards the end, but like yeah, like, yeah, and they were like, <laughs> "This is why you're in trouble." <laughs> but uh, yeah, I thought it was a fantastic cold open. Great choice, man. I yeah, agree. Yeah, that was on my list too. Um, Ooh, yeah, it's written by uh, Che and. Josh Patton and Gary Richardson, from what I can see, and Gary Richardson keeps showing up. I was looking. I don't usually go into the the writers, you know, as I'm writing the reviews because I don't have that information at the time. Right. As I yeah. was going over it, I kept seeing Gary Richardson coming up more and more. I really, I, I'm, it turns out I'm a Gary Richardson fan. But um, yeah, well, I mean, that's that's also why I want to pay attention to who writes what sketch because yeah. it's a real good way to gauge who you like on the show, whose contributions you're really appreciating. So yeah, yeah, I wanna I wanna give the writers a shout out wherever we can. And uh the, the thing I really liked about it, and you know, <laughs> thank god an old a middle-aged white guy is gonna talk about race, but the the um, <laughs> finally <laughs> that's the, that's kind of the point of the sketch in a way that it was race is such an easy thing to write sketches about and such a hard thing to do well, especially for Saturday Night Live. Absolutely. Again, God bless them. But, you know, I think I I wrote something in my review about, you know, when you step back and look at it in a way, as shocking as (laughs) it seems, SNL is better equipped to deal with race now than it ever has been, considering the diversity in the cast and the writers. And this one, it was so, I like that it was a nuanced, you, you can come out and do a sketch about racism being bad, which it is, and try to make that funny. This was more about coworkers and mm-hmm. social anxiety and friend groups and the things that people, friends and colleagues of different races talk about and the things that they don't. And that was what was tricky about it. I, yeah. my, favorite, my favorite line was just after the, the white anchors are trying their best to say what they mean and trying to point to the the, that shooting as maybe this will be the thing that really screws Mm -hmm. and that turns it all around and they go to ego and she just gives a beat and says look y'all seem like good people (laughs) 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 and i was just like that was that might have been my my favorite line of the year just everything that was in it i just really thought that was a great sketch she's trying to be patient mm-hmm. <laughs> with them right. but she, like she's she's heard this dance before i also loved like towards the end of the sketch they go oh well you know we lost royalty yesterday and then the black uh anchors immediately say yes the rapper dmx died <laughs> that that yeah. was great and it's like no no the prince Oh, Prince, he's been dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, that was great. And, and that's the type of sketch that you wouldn't have unless you had a decent amount of diversity in the writer's room and the performers, you know? Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we, I mean, right now, the cast and the writing room is just more diverse than we've ever seen. I mean, it's it's pretty fantastic. I mean, I'll I'll probably get to that you know, around uh, when I say my next uh, sketch that I really like, but uh, yeah, like that, you, you, we're really getting to see different voices and like uh, sketches from, you know, people we may not have heard of before, and I'm, I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Dennis, it's your turn again. Uh, what's okay. your number two choice? <laughs> um, 
All right. Uh, uh, let's see. I just, oh God. Um, <laughs> just to stick with another one that was just funny for the sake of funny, just to keep things, uh, the variety going. Uh, the birthday party on the, the Regina King episode, uh, 80s birthday party with all of the signs from uh, uh, presumably like Michael's or someplace like that, where everyone's giving her jokey signs about um, about uh, drinking and uh, and they just get really, really dark. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know if anyone remember. It's a birthday party. Everyone keeps unveiling. Mm -hmm. signs. 80 keeps opening them. And the first ones are like, you know, oh, it's wine o'clock. And they're like laughing and drinking wine. And then gradually it becomes becomes one about a very extended one about how uh 80 uh drinks under her uh underneath the trampoline in her backyard and cries <laughs> and and one that just says i'm sexually promiscuous and my house is dirty <laughs> <laughs> oh that's my favorite <laughs> that's wow that's another one that i had honestly <laughs> forgotten about and i'm gonna have to go back and rewatch that because i do remember liking that one a lot it just had uh, a lot of really funny women in it, and uh, there was just something about the lived-in kind of, uh, uh, I don't know. It just seemed like something extrapolated out from endless, like, attendings of, uh, attendance at, at like, polite uh, neighborhood gatherings that just takes a really dark turn. I don't know. It just worked for me. <laughs> that is cool. No, no. Was, yeah, it's great. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that, that's sort of, that sketch sort of kind of hits at something that I have noticed throughout this new season where there's been a, a good amount of like a, like a slice of life sketches that's gone on throughout this whole uh, season. Um, like that sketch, uh, if you remember the amusement park sketch from the Nick Jonas episode <laughs> where um, Kyle has that huge Joe Gardner doll. I mean, that, that was like a kind of a really like more of a quieter sketch that's like a slice of life. And the jokes weren't as obvious, but it was a, it was a funny sketch. Or um, what else was there? Uh, maybe the hailstorm sketch from the Chappelle episode. <laughs> um, the uh, category sketch from the Kaluuya. There's, there's a lot. There's been a lot more like a slice of life sketches of just like, you know, everyday people doing everyday things. And sketches that maybe don't lean on as much as like it being about like the new trending thing or person that's happening in the news. And no, what, I, was, I really, I really dug that. Was categories the one where uh, everybody at the party was getting busted for taking place, uh, taking part in the insurrection from January 6th? Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, the categories one, that was more, uh, you might know it as a rummy cube with Josh wine. No, no. that's not ringing a bell. <laughs> wow. Wow. It was, I mean, that, that one was kind of controversial just because a lot of people, didn't I think people either didn't get it or they just thought there weren't any jokes in it. It was the one where um, Kate was being very passive aggressive because the people didn't want to play her game. Oh, they, they okay. Now, now I remember that. Now I remember. It. So just her making noises in the background and like slamming the door <laughs> of the uh, of the washing machine just it over and over clothes. again. Right. <laughs> it was. And then yeah, the, that, punch, that's the punchline is yeah she's she just bursts out that uh you know we we watch deadpool on my birthday mm -hmm. and you won't play the game that i want right but uh yeah that's so that's a sketch um but yeah i do like that these there's they're giving more like slight i keep saying slice of life but more of those sketches like um more shine 
you know, like th- th- those sketches maybe I would have remembered seeing back in the 80s or 90s where it's a little bit more quieter or, you know, the joke wasn't as obvious. And I, I really yeah. don't. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's nice to have like you know more low key things that aren't about the huge stuff that's happening in the news this week, and it, it's more just about human behavior. And it's it, that's nice for the variety of the show, I think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I, oh, I guess it's my turn. Um, I mean, for keeping in theme with the live sketches, um, I kind of have two that I kind of want to pair together, if that's okay. Um, two of my favorites throughout this whole uh, season were uh, the proud parent sketch on the Daniel Kaluuya episode, and the um, I got to give a nod to the the college panel sketch that happened on the Anya Taylor Joy uh, finale. Um, just because I think those are two sketches where it's uh, it's like from a point of view that maybe not everybody would get, or not everybody would really understand what the joke is. I mean. I mean, I, I got it because like I, I sort of saw where they were going with it. But like I remember listening to a bunch of other SNL podcasts and people for both of those sketches, people were like, yeah, I liked it. But I didn't know exactly what they were saying. Like with the proud parent sketch, um, that's the one that uh, it has a Ego Wodum and uh, Daniel Kaluuya, you know, sort of chastising their son for not, be, you know, for ditching, uh, wanting to be a doctor for getting into creative writing. And like that's a sketch where if you're like a, a first generation person, if you have uh, parents who came to this country from like Africa or Asia, you'd get what they're trying to say because you know in you know in those uh, families, you know education is really important and you really press on their kids to be a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. So, but like I remember like hearing other people talk about that sketch and they're like, yeah, I don't, I didn't quite get it, but I liked it. But like I got it because you know I'm first generation. My wife's first generation. I know a, a ton of our friends are first generation too, and they all we all got it. We all like, oh yeah, that's that is a thing. That's hilarious. And uh, with the college panel sketch, that's another sketch that I thought was fantastic because it kind of touches on that thing where if you ever watch a lot of um, like interviews, especially like with Hollywood Reporter or Variety <laughs> or whatever, like if you're um, if the person is interviewing somebody who's a person of color or a woman or a, a gay or person or a LGBTQIA, they're going to ask like all these kind of hard hitting kind of depressing or serious questions. Whereas if you're a straight white guy, you really don't get those questions. You get like, you know, Frisbees or dogs. <laughs> like you'll get like more lighthearted. Dogs. <laughs> exactly. And like, I, I love that sketch too. Cause like, as, as they ask, as they get more and more into those questions, the uh, questions get simpler and simpler for Pete. And Pete just gets more childlike and simpler with his an- with his answers. He's like, uh, Max, PlayStation? PlayStation. Like, <laughs> like something like that. Yeah. And then then they ask um Heidi questions about, you know, marital rape. <laughs> and then yeah. and like like Jesus Christ. So, so uh, and then, I, like they ask they ask Punky Johnson, it's like if, after the they talk to Pete and it's just PlayStation, it's like the they they regress to like caveman speak. And she the question is just like you gay woman, no dress. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you you definitely get a sense of people, like uh, people on that panel, like have heard questions like that before. Like I, I could definitely see, like that sketch, that college panel sketch, coming from maybe Bowen Yang's experiences with uh, the press, or Punky Johnson's experiences with the press, or you know even Ego or Heidi, where they 
ask them. So as a woman, so as a gay man, <laughs> as an Asian gay man, how do you feel about this? Like, you know, the, they've gotten questions like that a lot. And I'm sure they've gotten those questions to the point where maybe some of them may have been a little harsher or disrespectful. So I can definitely see like that sketch being based on their experiences, just like um, I could see the proud parents sketch being based on uh, Ego's experience. Cause I actually watched uh, a couple of weeks ago, like before the sketch came on, like Ego was on uh, Seth Meyers and she talked about how she was a pre-med student and she, she studied biology and she was going to be a doctor, but she gave it up because she really wanted to do acting and comedy. So I can imagine that sketch being pretty much how the discussion went with her parents, you know, telling them that she didn't want to be a doctor anymore. So like, I, it's, it, those are two sketches where I think like be, that are sort of based or sort of highlight how diversity in the writing room is like super important because like they're both sketches that you wouldn't have seen unless you know you they were written by people who sort of see the world from a different light so uh yeah uh college panel and a proud parent sketch uh two of my faves of the season okay well uh it's my turn again so i'm gonna choose a sketch that's become one of my favorites i don't think this is going to be a surprise uh it's the war in words Mm. Bertie and Mary. This was from the Carrie Mulligan episode. Uh, this was a World War II documentary. Reveals letters written by a separated military couple, Bertie, played by Mikey Day, and Mary, Carrie Mulligan, that take an unexpected turn. Uh, I love these sketches. I, I mean, it's pretty much the same formula every time. Just the, the wife saying really weird things in her letters to the guy on the front. But they're always so good because Mikey Day is just so good at playing incredulous. <laughs> and, and they're really creative with the weird things that they have the wife be up to. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh, I mean, it is one of those sketches like every time they have uh, a British female actress on as mm -hmm. a host, you, you can you, you can it's a safe bet that they're going to do the war. Yeah. Yeah. War. Yeah. It's I mean. SNL, this needs to be a new tradition. They need to have at least one British woman host every season just so they can keep doing the sketch. <laughs> that That is all I want in life. Yeah, no, I'm down for that. And uh, yeah, I mean, it is one of those things where like you, you kind of know where it's going and you know the beats, but I mean, the beats are just so enjoyable and so hilarious. So like everything, every, every new uh, joke that I come up with, it's you know, you gotta like, oh, that's that's pretty funny. That's pretty hilarious. Yeah, I mean, this in this one, uh, Streeter, like he he asks his wife for to send him something naughty, and <laughs> then then she's like, well, here you go. Don't share it with all your friends. And then he's holding a vial of cocaine, <laughs> and then the sketch ends. He's just so flustered over this weird conversation he's been having with his wife through the mail he just just goes okay screw it i'm gonna do it and he starts <laughs> like breaking up the cocaine in there i mean i i love these sketches and it's the, they haven't gone to the well so many times that i'm sick of it we've had just the right amount of them i think no yeah. I, I agree i'm with you i yeah. i i i will add i I have some people say a vendetta against Mikey Day, and I do not. I just want to make that very clear. <laughs> wow. I think he's a funny guy. I think at one point I, I kind of was ruminating in one review or another that I don't know if 
it's some sort of extended hazing that's going on where he gets stuck in the same sort of role as the guy who points to the person who's acting weird and says, Hey, that person's acting weird. And yeah. That isn't exactly like that. Cause he has a little more to do and the format helps him out. But yeah, um, yeah he is, as, as you say, uh, John, he is good at, um, at acting incredulous because he has a lot of practice at it. Yes. Yes. Right. <laughs> I, I do get a little sick of the sketches where it is, there is just somebody who's only functioning in the sketches Hey, that person's acting weird. They they do go to that well a little too often. And it's I think this almost is just always different. Mikey Day. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, guess, yeah. I mean, he he is a good straight man, and I guess he's uh he's good at the being. I guess the uh, I guess the 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 person there who sees everything a little bit weird, like the one who's do, who's uh, acting as the voice for the audience. I still thought you were gonna you were gonna say the, the guy who sees things a little differently. Uh, I I was thinking about it and I was like I don't want to set John off. <laughs> pull back from that. Yeah, that that character is not one of my favorites. Yeah, but I, but he's just he uh, Mikey Day is good at playing the straight man. I mean, he does it when he uh, plays the Don Don Junior character to um, Moffat's mm -hmm. Eric Trump. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's just good. He just he's he just a, he just knows that lane about how to play it, you know, just so that the other person can act crazy and wacky and he's like the, the grounded one and able to sort yeah. of, you know, move the I, sketch along. I've really come to like Mikey Day. He's become one of my favorite uh, people in the cast. And I particularly like him uh, ever since I learned to tell the difference between him and Alex Moffat. Right. <laughs> Which, I mean, it took a season, but I think yeah. it was worth it. Yep. Right. We were calling them Mikey Moffat and Alex Day, if I'm mm. not mistaken. We were. Sometimes <laughs> intentionally. Yes. Uh, but yeah, Warren Words. Great, great pick, my friend. Thank you much. Uh, Dennis, I believe it's your turn now. Uh, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick one uh, that thematically will we'll follow up on my point <laughs> about, about <laughs> kind of uh, SNL returning to a particular well kind of often. And I will pick as uh, from the Reggae John Page episode, I will pick uh, the job interview sketch. Oh, yes. Um, it was written by Colin Jost, who uh, more props to him because it isn't a sketch I, I, I would think would necessarily come from, from Jost. But um, what I like about it the most is that um, everybody in the sketch is in the same bizarro world yes. without, without having that Mikey Day persona to say hey that's weird they're just it it's in it's absurdity building on absurdity uh if, if the the sketch is just uh page comes in as a he's a, a, a prospective employee of a, a place a company that writes uh, back then it's company writes uh ads on spec for companies and they're all terrible mm -hmm. and um you think oh i know where this is going and it does do the you know these are terrible ads jokes but it just keeps piling on there's just stuff going on around the edges of the sketch that never it's never explained it's never uh mm -hmm. you know there's nobody providing kind of cliff notes cliff notes to people who are watching who might not who might be a little alarmed that we're kind of in a strange world here um at one point <laughs> there's beck bennett is just he's he's the boss and he's trying to 
pump up how well his company's doing. And the first note that his assistant Bowen Yang brings is just like, we're losing millions. And he just waves that away. But then the next one that Bowen Yang brings in is they have your daughter. <laughs> yeah. And at one, at one point he comes in with a post note that just says, hi. And right. he gives that to Reggae John Page. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I watched that again this morning. And this was a sketch that if I hadn't put it on that YouTube playlist, I probably would have forgotten about it. But I loved it at the time. And I loved it when I watched it again uh, this morning. And it it's really good. It's, it's written by Colin Joe Solo. So he gets full credit for this. Um, and it's just a, a barrage of great, weird jokes, great performances. And the editing was really good because the editing really kept it just rapid fire. Mm -hmm. And you didn't have time to. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was just great. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite jokes in it was uh, in the beginning of the sketch when Reggae sits down with Beck and he's, you know, Beck says the name of the company is Mixed Martial Media because it's like mm -hmm. a you know, media company. And then later on in the sketch, he uh, Beck says to Reggae, so what makes you think you're MMM material? I'm sorry, I stuttered. Material. <laughs> yes. Like, that yeah. is such, because like you got to remember that the name of the place was Mixed Martial Media. And then they just did a, a joke that, that that played on that like a few minutes later, and like it's, I don't know. There was so much going on in this sketch. It was just so quick, rapid fire absurdity yep. to like a level that SNL doesn't get to very often. It was mm -hmm. almost like I was almost maybe Mighty Python esque, maybe. Wow. Yeah. Was, maybe. I, I think I that's the vibe that 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 I thought of too. I mean, you know, we're not going to compare, you know, necessarily two shows, but. But yes, it was a sketch in its own reality. It was self-contained and it didn't fit into any existing template. It wasn't commented on from the outside. It was just what it was. And it was just yeah. really good. Yeah, that's that's a great, great point. That that sketch wouldn't have been half of what it was if there was somebody sitting there going, this is a weird job interview. <laughs> I mean, right. that, that doesn't necessarily add a whole lot. Right. It's just like it's just a it's just a sketch where everybody is just in on the absurdity, especially like to the point where the two of them, uh, Beck and Reggae, have like this sort of standoff and they're looks like they're about to pull out, you know, guns and shoot each other. But instead they pull out these big pool noodles and just like <laughs> slap each other with it. And then Bowen comes in screaming, stop it, you'll kill each other. <laughs> It's like, what is going on here? It's just madness. And then it ends with Paige having been kind of a bagger Vance, kind of the magical Negro kind of stereotype. He's like, he only was there to give Beck the the prize winning ad that's going to save his company. And then he disappears like in a... <laughs> and uh, at, after putting on like a rakish, like uh, Morgan Freeman hat. And then right. Bowen Yang comes in in tears and you think it might be because the guy's gone, and he's just like, no, that was my hat. <laughs> yeah. The, the, yeah, that sketch, I don't know. I feel like it's another sketch. It doesn't get the props it deserves. It's, <laughs> it was a really, like, fantastic sketch. I really dug it. That was a good one. That was a good one. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that's, all right. Well, since I'll I'll keep in theme with the, the pre-tapes, um, I'll talk about a sketch that I – when it came on, I rewatched it like over and over again, just because there were new things I were find I was finding in it that I just loved and appreciated, and uh, it was on w what I think was the strongest episode 
of the season. That's the I would say the Timothy Chalamet episode was the strongest one of the season, you know, hands down. Uh, but my favorite sketch or pre-tape out of the whole, well, one of my favorite pre-tapes, uh, the December to Remember car commercial. Yeah. The, the oh, Lexus yes. commercial. Oh, damn it. I should have put that on my list. Which, I mean, which episode was that in? Timothy Chalamet. That episode. Yeah, Chalamet. Okay, yes. All right. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm sure maybe we'll talk about episodes later, but like, I thought that episode was like the strongest by far. It had that in it. It had the rap roundtable sketch, which I really liked. It had Dionne Warwick, which I really liked. You know, uh, mm -hmm. we got to see Melissa do her Dolly Parton impression, Tiny Horse. That was a really solid episode, <laughs> that one. But, uh, but yeah, let's talk about this December to Remember. It was, there was so much in there to love. Just, yeah. first of all, the way it was shot. It looked exactly like a Lexus commercial, the way it was shot. Yes. And then, and then it's sort of so it's a trope on. So for those who haven't seen it, it's basically uh, Beck and Heidi as a married couple. Um, Timothy Chalamet is their son, and they're around the tree Christmas morning. Uh, Beck gives uh, Heidi a gift. She sees his car keys, like you know, like a lot of car commercials do. They all go out in their in their Sunday best, and they see it's a Lexus in the driveway. And of course, instead of being happy by this sight, uh, uh, Heidi says. Are you kidding me? You bought a car? That's a major purchase. What's wrong with you? Mm -hmm. And then from there, it just devolves into this whole thing about you know how they can't afford the car because the dad's out of work. And then it goes to Beck drinking at nine in the morning, and then it just it just spirals downward and downward. And we see all these amazing performances from everybody. I mean, Heidi Heidi plays the notes just right as a you know incredulous wife who just sees this car in his driveway, this major purchase. Uh, Beck. Beck is always good as like just a clueless dad type. Where, he, he's you know, very good at that. that. That's his wheelhouse, man. Yeah, 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 exactly. And of course he says, yeah. And of course, uh, Heidi says, how much did you pay for this ridiculous purchase? And he says, it's, it's like 4,000. It's not that much, babe. And, and how much is the monthly payment? He's like, wait, what? And like, <laughs> I, I love Heidi's response because she has her, her lips like pursed closed saying like, did you honestly think this car costs $4,000? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and like he he has to know about the monthly pay. He doesn't know about the monthly payment, or the and the a, the apper or the yeah. APR. And yes. then we, he doesn't know what an APR is. <laughs> <laughs> and then Mikey comes in as the neighbor, just blowing up his spot, saying, "You, it's like you bought a Lexus with the money I lent you. You were yeah. come to me crying, saying you said we needed that to pay bills. <laughs> yeah, like my wife doesn't respect me. She's cheating on me with everyone. And now we have Heidi come." As like the cheating woman, and it's, there's like there's so many levels to this whole. And we find out over the course of the sketch, she's cheating with Mikey Day, the neighbor. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> it had some great turns in it. I mean, it was they could have just only done the level of him buying the car and surprising her without telling her about it. And they most a lot of other sketches would have just kept it at that level, but they kept building on it, and that was that was a great thing about that sketch. Yeah, like he has uh, Beck has his ear pierced to impress his his son's girlfriend. <laughs> yes. Like I was like, where where is this sketch going? Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's I mean that was one of my favorite pre tapes of the season, hands down. Really great. Yeah, it was Beck fantastic. is Beck is at his best, I think, when he is channeling thwarted American male kind of uh, ego, like. Uh -huh. Uh, you know, a guy who is attempting to kind of embody everything he thinks a man should be and falling far, far short. Yes. I think he's really good at that. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, he's 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 a he's a gem. He's a gem of a performer. Uh, okay. Yeah. So December to remember a car commercial. It's that's that's a great choice. I'm 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 kicking myself that I'm that I forgot to include that one on mine. Um, but I'm glad you got it. Uh, okay. Well, continuing the theme of pre-tapes, we really liked. Uh, I'm gonna choose another pre-tape. Uh, this is a teacher. Uh, and it's a trailer for a new show depicts a student, Andrew Dismukes, attempt to get <laughs> special treatment from his teacher, Ego Nautam. This was from the uh, Kristen Wiig episode. It was written by uh, Anna Driesen, Allison Gates, and Ego Nautam. Uh, it's just like a teacher kind of coming up and he's being like, hey, what's up? <laughs> and Ego's character, the teacher, is just having none of it. And <laughs> she's just like, yeah, you're you're failing out of my class. That's not hot for me. <laughs> and, and he's like, "Oh, well, you're 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 being awfully mean about this." And she says, "Yeah, I got that swagger that you have when you're not a pedophile." <laughs> I, again, it was just the performances were were just great. It was a great thing for Andrew Juice Meeks. Andrew Juice Meeks had more standout moments this season than I'd remembered, and this was one of them. Uh, he, he was really good in this. Yeah, team. like uh, I mean, that's another thing I've noticed that like Andrew Smuke is definitely he's like slowly sort of coming to the forefront. Uh, he had I a mean, really good first season. Yeah, yeah, I guess he's sort of maybe taking over the uh, the like the young teenager slot that maybe Pete Davidson used to occupy back when mm -hmm. you know, Pete was a young buck, and now he now he's a seasoned vet. So <laughs> like Andrew was like the new young kid. Um, he definitely had like he said like this season he had, he's had a lot of standout moments. Uh, the what was it the uh, the post COVID dating sketch in the Nick Jonas episode? You know, my name is Guy Piano. <laughs> mm -hmm. That was a great moment, and of course his weekend update segment where he got to, you know, talk to the audience, tell them he was from Texas and nobody cared. Yeah, like, <laughs> like little things like that. He's like he's slowly like sort of you know he's slowly sort of ingratiating himself in, with the audience, and people are starting to like sort of take notice of him. I think. Uh, on the last episode where he was uh, with the prom day where, um, which he had a hand in writing that sketch, <laughs> the pre-tape where, you know, again, again, Beck as a middle-aged goofy dad, you know, blows off his nuts with a shotgun. <laughs> yeah. Like he, 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 uh, people start to take notice of him there too. Like he, I think, I think next season we're definitely gonna see more and more dismukes. Like as he sort of gets himself acclimated uh, in the show more and like be, he's, I think he's going to be more of a standout next season. Definitely for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And he had definitely a very strong season. Um, it's it and and the the uh, Darren, what you mentioned, you know, his his direct to camera update piece was very much a Pete Davidson piece. You know, he's kind of forging his own kind of identity right to the audience, and uh, they really responded. And uh, yeah, I think he's I think he's he's a lock for a cast next year. No, absolutely, he's he's in there. Well, wouldn't it be like still another year before he gets bumped up to uh, repertory player? Because I thought it was like you do featured player for two years, and then if you've done a, a good job, you get bumped up to the regular cast. Like like Chloe and yeah. and Bowen were both uh, featured players still this year, but I'm sure they're both going to be in the main cast next season. Yeah, I I don't know that the, what the hard and fast rules if there are such things, but that seems to be the pattern it's been going. I mean, some people have jumped right you know gone from a ball to the to the show you know right away i think i think kate mckinnon did that 
in her first season. I think they jumped her up. But but yeah, it's, yeah, that seems to be how it goes. But I mean, it seems like nobody starts as a full cast member. There, there's always like that apprenticeship period. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Okay. Uh, yeah. So Dennis, yeah, you have another, ah. uh, you have oh. another, <laughs> another one on deck. <clears throat> Excuse me. The um, uh, sticking with the our our kind of uh, introducing the idea that uh, you know this was obviously the last year and a half have been uh, a whole you know everything's been different with COVID and um, and uh, the way the show has kind of incorporated that just as an <clears throat> sorry as an everyday kind of fact uh, <laughs> uh, the, the I would go with from the Adele episode the fortune teller sketch Ooh, um, with uh, the four happy-go-lucky friends uh, go to a fortune teller's uh, uh, shop. That's Kate McKinnon uh, as a as a goof, you know, like a just as a, a fun thing to do. And uh, she starts. This is <laughs> the the introductory title. This is in 2019 that they did this. Oh and yes. yes, Kate starts giving them very specific predictions, which uh, are absolutely baffling. Um, and my favorite one was um, where she tells Adele uh, she can see her buying stamps and being very happy about buying stamps and screaming to the sky screw you u.s postmaster lewis de joy and adele just saying why do i know the name of the united states postmaster in <laughs> yeah. um i don't know it just it worked for me uh obviously uh COVID sketches were were plentiful, whether they were about it or whether it just kind of incorporated the idea of isolation and pods and things. And um, I don't know, this was still pretty early on in the season and and it was just kind of SNL finding, kind of planting a flag, finding a way to make those kind of jokes. And I just thought it was very clever. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that was, a, that was a good sketch, I remember. And that was one that had kind of fallen off my radar. Uh, and it, it had to be tough to write the show this year because, like, we have this huge common experience that everyone in the country is going through to some degree or another, but you you want to find a an original way to get into it. You, it can't just be, like, complaining about quarantine or whatever, you know? So that was, that was a real original way to, to go about it, I think. No, absolutely. Just sort of reflecting back on all these things that are happening happening now that like if you told somebody a year ago would happen, like, oh yeah, we're we're worried about the, the post office closing down or something like that. Mm -hmm. They'd be like, What? That's not a thing, is it? And yeah, yeah and sure enough it was. I think we saved it though. I think we Yeah. Yeah. And I just like one of the predictions was, you know, because somebody asked very excitedly, like, what what am what does the next year hold for me? What am I really gonna what is going to capture my passion? What am I really going to be into? And then she looks into her palm and says, adult coloring books. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <Wow>. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good line. It's a good line. Uh, uh, I unfortunately uh, don't see any writers listed for that sketch. So uh, again, yeah. Uh, hats off to Akira Wally and Mohawk Joey. <laughs> yes. Some of your best work boys. Yep. Okay. All right. Uh, well, yeah, let's, um, I guess I'll, I'll say another one. Uh, let's, you know, let's talk about this one, one that kind of went viral and was like pretty popular. Let's talk about the Muppet Show sketch, guys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I knew we were going to get to this one. We have to. 
We have yep. to. From the Keegan-Michael yep. Key episode. And if, if, if we did not get to this one, we would be more than welcome to leave. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my Lord. I mean, there, I mean, there have been a few hosts on this season where you just look at them and you're like, oh, that guy could have been a cast member. Like, I feel like um, from the Dan uh, Levy episode, like, the way Dan kind of played with the rest of the cast, like, he, mm -hmm. he, it was, like, seamless. And I thought, oh, he could have been a cast member. He's really good. And I feel the same way about Keegan-Michael Key. Like, he definitely could have been a cast member just because he had that huge history in improv and sketch. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't know. I mean, again, the, the premise for this uh, Muppet Show sketch was, was pretty ingenious. I mean, it's kind of is something that we've all thought. Like how basically, you know, Stat Statler and Waldorf just get to scream all these and heckle all these things at the peep at the um, you know Fozzie and Kermit throughout the entire show, and no one does anything. So for them to just take that idea and build a whole sketch around it and puppets around it, and you know, and again, Melissa Vieira Senor coming in coming through with the great Lily Tomlin impression. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. holy moly! It's I thought it was fantastic. It was, I mean, it was it got it. Got a little dark, but it wasn't too dark. It was still dark, but still like I guess maybe playfully dark. I saw you know somebody what? like I got into a debate with somebody on Facebook about it in there, and or there was some think piece or something. And there was like, oh well, you know, this doesn't work for the Muppets because it broke one of the big rules of the Muppets, where they never call attention to them being not being people. And I was just like, yeah, but it's not the Muppets, so they don't have to obey the rules of the Muppet Show. So right. I just thought that was such a weird <laughs> criticism of it. So, somebody bring up Muppet rules, Muppet law. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, I didn't. I don't know. I I loved that uh, that the Statler got black eyes. I love that yeah. they made either another Muppet or or a some attachment on top of his <laughs> eyes so yeah. they could show him being beaten up and. And Keenan and and Keegan both just threw themselves into it so hard, performance wise. It really uh, elevated the sketch, and it was a funny sketch to begin uh, with. I mean, yeah. you have lines like, you know, everybody here paid good money to hear this little dragon <laughs> thing. Yeah, I think that was it too. The the way that Keegan, his voice, he has that lisp and that yeah. high pitched voice. That that's what really sold it. It's like, what did you say to your fellas? Like Keegan that. was so good at vocal characterizations. I know his his first wife was like some sort of a linguist or or speech therapist or something. So I think huh. she was able to to help him and that and he's really adept at that. Right, yeah. like he the way you, he's just he's not doing much. It's all in his like his voice. You know, like him saying, "Now whatever happens next is up to you." Mm -hmm. <laughs> like shit like that. Like that's enough yeah. to to get that laugh out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that sketch, by the way, uh, written by uh, Dan Bila, uh, Stephen Castillo, Mikey Day, and Dennis's favorite, Gary Richardson. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I, Darren, I mean, you're absolutely right about Keegan Michael Key. And, you know, I saw an interview with him where he was talking about he had an offer from uh, Mad TV, which is where he and, and Peel started, you know, their mm -hmm. partnership. And, how he had to really wrestle because SNL was always the dream for him, but this was work and this was in LA and he could network there. And, and, you know, so that's why he chose what he chose. Mm. Um, yeah. But, uh, and that has to be a tough choice if your yeah. dream is to get on SNL and like, not that mad TV didn't do or couldn't do great stuff, but it's a different sort of thing than 
like the show, it's never going to be the show you dreamed mm-hmm. of getting on as a kid because it wasn't around when you were a kid. Yeah. You know, if you're in Keegan Michael Key's uh, age group. No, absolutely. Yeah. And, so, yeah. Okay. Well, um, I'm going to choose another one uh, from the Keegan Michael Key episode. Uh, this was the cold open, the No More Mass cold open, where uh, Kate McKinnon played Dr. Anthony Fauci. And she had uh, people from the CDC doing improv scenes to prevent, <laughs> present different scenarios to demonstrate the new COVID 19 mass guidelines. Um, and, we, and because they were improv scenes, they always took a weird turn that just sort of was not getting the point. <laughs> like after one, it was like the message should not should be you need masks on planes, not everybody horny now. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, hey, I haven't been with somebody in over a year. Do you want to get to get with this? And she's like, you know it, King. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, this it was really funny, and it's it's a Colin Jost uh, Gary uh, Richardson sketch. So you know they they did a great job, and I also like this because it it used almost the entire cast. Yeah, I have noticed it doing that more and more, where they're they're trying to put in the whole cast in these mm-hmm. cold opens, uh, like a, you know that cold open you just mentioned. Um, of course, you know they had the Mother's Day cold open and the um, the final one for the finale. Like, I, I appreciate that they know they have a huge cast. They even say it in the cold open for the finale. It's like, yeah, we got a pretty pretty damn big cast here. <laughs> but, like, I, I appreciate the fact that they're trying to get everybody, like, a moment to shine here or there whenever they can. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. That cold open was pretty fantastic. Dennis, you got anything to say about this particular one? Or? I do. I didn't like it. Oh, really? Oh, well, let's hear why. Whoa! I didn't. I didn't realize this is one you hated. Controversial. Um, I mean, it's not terrible. I just um, it, it's it's tied into what I, I one of you was mentioning. I can't remember who, but talking about how it, halfway through the season, sort of there was a <clears throat> a shift. You know, once the election was over. And yeah. the cold opens, they were freed up from the tyranny of uh, Alec Baldwin and Jim Carrey and, and uh, having... <laughs> having <laughs> Let's talk about the insanity that happened this week. Yeah, and so um, it kind of eased back on... And this was political only really in the sense that, you know, some people don't believe in science, I guess. And right. that's suddenly politics in America. But the I liked the sketch... I just thought it was it was uh, um, eased back to the point of irrelevance. Like it it presented uh-huh. itself when you see you know a, a cold open with Anthony Fauci and and the CDC and COVID. You think it's going to be they're going to get into some news of the day kind of stuff. And I guess I was just I was a little thrown just how fluffy it was. I I like the idea that there are just these uh, frustrated. Uh, scientists at the CDC just swarming the halls of the CDC, and uh, Fauci right. says they all minored in drama, and uh, <laughs> and um, that they're all just really want to be improv comedians. And uh, I don't know. I thought it was cute. I I I can't say I, it would have made my list. I'm sorry. So, no. So it sounds like you just wish it had like more bite to it, or a reason to exist. More than it <laughs> <did>. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I like this because it's 
I mean, Darren and I, we find ourselves on the same page more often than not. So we don't often have big debates like this where one of us loved a sketch and one of us hated the sketch. So I, I, I didn't hate oh. it. I just, you know, it was cute. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, like this, this morning I saw like a, a tweet you made, uh, you like, you, you uh, quoted our tweet about you guesting on the show and you used a, a gift from the Californians. And I was like, wait, does he like the Californians? I don't. <laughs> I was, I was mainly, I just searched SNL gifts for things about people looking uh, panicked. and. Oh like, yeah. Well, the Californians uh, is a good sketch for that. Yeah. That was me. So <laughs> that, you know, it's, it's so funny. Like the, the Californians, it's one of those sketches and like the people who did it and put it together. <laughs> I usually love yeah. that sketch. are just like, Oh, it, it, it grind my teeth. <laughs> It's, it's a lot. That sketch is a lot. It's yeah. a lot to take, and it's like you either love it or you hate it. And I was, I was in the hate it camp. I'm afraid. Yeah, I, not to keep talking about the, my dumb movie mm -hmm. format, but but one of the categories where I talk about recurring sketches. I, yeah, nobody ever. It's it's an awkward joke that I just keep leaving in there. And uh, it's, what do you call that sketch? The Californians. Yes, because and it's you do the little double like snap. An, it's supposed to be like an aristocrat aristocrats joke. No, I get it. Yeah, like like and and I always put the Californians in because that's the epitome of a sketch that never should have really been on the show in the first place and was on to an extent that became obscene. Yes, I mean they went <laughs> to that well way too often. Yeah. No, absolutely. Oof. Way, uh... way too often. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, Dennis, you, you have another favorite oh you want to talk about? <clears throat> yeah, let's talk about something you liked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, let's talk about uh, lesbian period drama. Oh Ooh. yeah, that was <laughs> the, that was a contender Mulligan. for me. That was that was a what? That was a contender for me. That that yeah. was that was one of my ones. I was like, I don't know if this is in my top five, but I really liked this. Yeah, I really liked it. Um, the. Uh, the premise is just basically, uh, it was basically taking off on uh, Ammonite, which is a movie that very few people saw with Kate Winslet playing a uh, real life, supposedly closeted uh, 19th century geologist who is supposedly drawn to uh, this young woman in her employ. And um, it's full of halting glances and, and, yeah. and, and uh, it, it's the joke uh, it was written by uh, uh, Kate, who's in it, plus Allison Gates, Fran Gillespie, and Sudi Green. Yeah, and I just have a sense of Kate just channeling a lot of uh, inner uh, kind of rage giggles at <laughs> the long history of Hollywood putting out these very gauzy, kind of almost but not quite out dramas about women who almost but not quite consummate love affairs and and uh mm -hmm. putting it in period dress and having these acclaimed actors actresses uh in there and um i just thought it was very uh, snl uh, you know uh for further film sketches have become so good at aping the style of the thing they're parodying. yeah that this was just gorgeous and perfect and the line that really sold it for me was um the, the voiceover just uh narrator saying uh and with best actress nominee the wind and, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. yeah a couple uh, lines i wrote down from that uh sketch were will these lesbians be lesbians together yeah. <laughs> and and also all building up to a sex scene so graphic you think oh yeah right a man directed this yeah. 
Is, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, and I plus, mean, it, it, it felt like just like Kate McKinnon and, and probably some of the other writers just putting years of pent up frustrations of watching all these art house lesbian period dramas yeah. pour into this, and they were just going off on every cliche that they'd gotten sick of. So yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> it plus was really strong. And plus the fact that this was during the uh, Carrie Mulligan episode, and this this the the type of film that they were like uh, parodying, it totally seems like a movie that Carrie Mulligan mm -hmm. would actually be in. Yes, hundred percent, hundred percent. My my only thing that I pointed out uh, at one point, uh, it seems like uh, it was it was uh, baffling that that they they were name checking these other kind of movies like that, and they put in the, the recent movie Portrait of a Lady on Fire as kind of the movies that are obviously directed by dudes, but that was actually directed by a woman, and I would I would expect that Kate wouldn't wouldn't sign off on something. Oh no, it's yeah. based on a lie. Oh yeah. boy, damn it. Yeah. Oh, but anyway, really funny sketch. Really funny sketch. That was that was a strong one. I I was surprised when I was going through the sketches. I really liked how many were from that Carrie Mulligan show. That was a that was a pretty strong show. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, she she was a good host. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Uh, yeah. All right. So I'll, I'll, I guess I'll go again. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna shake things up. I'm gonna hop oh. over. I'm gonna <laughs> do it. We're getting too complacent. Yeah, I'm gonna hop over to something uh, that went viral from uh, the weekend update. And oh, I guys, bet I know what this is. You, you probably do, because dude, we gotta talk about Bowen Yang as the iceberg that sunk the Titanic. <laughs> yes, we absolutely do. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's something that's like silly and absurd, but at the same time, kind of smart and brilliant too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's like I did not see this coming. <laughs> I, you know, like much like the Titanic, and I. Don't... <laughs> it was such a it's such a great performance by Bowen. I mean, I mean, for those that don't know, it's um, he's playing the iceberg that sunk the Titanic, and he's there to promote his album, his right. EDM uh, pop. You know, Pop Fantasia album, <laughs> and all um, all Colin wants to do is ask him questions about his past that he'd rather not talk about, and not you know these aren't the questions we discuss, Colin. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it's such a great concept for a, a desk piece because I mean, look at the first time you have to you have to think about the fact that whenever they talk about uh, the Titanic sinking, they always say the iceberg that hit the Titanic. <laughs> right. And if right. you think if you think about that a little bit, you could be like, that can't be possible. Like the, it's a it's an iceberg. The iceberg was not gunning for the Titanic. Yeah. yeah it's it's not the aggressor. It's, it's... He, he actually had a line. He was like, first of all, you came to where I live and you hit me. <laughs> yeah. And that's brilliant. Yeah. You think about it, it's like, oh yeah, there's no way. Like it's the ship's fault. The ship yeah. this is all the ship's fault. So why do we keep yeah. blaming this iceberg? And he and he also had a great line when he's he's getting indignant. He just goes, you know, you know how all those people uh, died? They drowned, bitch. That's not on me. That's water. <laughs> Nobody's That's... canceling the ocean, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it's just just such a great. That's a great point too. And um, <laughs> and to wrap it up in this, it wasn't even a sketch, but it's like a desk piece. But it's one of those <laughs> things where it's absurd and silly but at the same time kind of smart and brilliant because you have to think of like whenever we talk about the titanic we say the iceberg that hit the titanic right and then you think about that for a minute and you realize wait that can't be possible it's that titanic it's not the 
it's not a living thing. It, it couldn't have been the aggressor. The, the boat <laughs> yeah. hit the iceberg. The, the iceberg didn't go out looking for the Titanic, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so once you think of that idea and realize that, then you build a whole character around it. And to have the iceberg be this person who's just trying to set, promote their album on Weekend Update, that's just like a mm -hmm. whole other level of absurdity to it. And and we've all seen those talk show appearances like that, where it's like the first example I can think of is like when like Paris Hilton was on Letterman after she'd gotten out of prison or something, and she was like, "Oh well, I don't want to talk about that at all." And Letterman was like, "Well, that's all I want to talk about." <laughs> and it's it's such a, a cringe thing when they're just trying to, or like you know, Martha Stewart is like, "Oh please, let me just make my salad." after she just gotten out of out of jail or prison or whichever one she was in. Um, <laughs> she was in one of those things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just, yeah, there was that. And it was also, I think I remember this one time where, like, I think it was like Tom Selleck. He was on the Rosie O'Donnell show. Oh, yeah. And she started asking him about gun control. I remember. Yeah. And even yeah. at one point, like, it got awkward. And even at one point, I remember him saying, look, I'm just here to promote this show. I don't want to talk about guns, Rosie. <laughs> yeah, it got weird. It got and, really weird. And it's a, I mean, on one hand, it's her show, but on the other hand, that's not exactly what you expect when you come on a morning talk show. Yeah, it's supposed to be light. You're supposed to make your guests feel at home and entertained. And, uh, you know, you're not, they're not here for gotcha journalism. Yeah. Uh, but, oh, yeah, back to the iceberg. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, and like, the way Bowen played it, it was, it was pretty fantastic. It was pretty seamless. He knew the right tone to hit, he knew the right beats. I mm -hmm. love how, when he was describing what happened, he had this one part, this one quick joke where he says, oh, yes, I felt somebody, I felt something hit me. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, which is insane. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> like he like he threw in a quick joke for something we all can relate to where somebody bumps into us and we end up apologizing to them. Yes. And like that's like a really quick little thing he threw in there that got like a huge laugh. And I don't know, Bowen really knew the knew how to play this character and he didn't him just ended up singing his uh lover boy song at the end was a great way to <laughs> top it all off like i like i did notice like after that death piece blow bowen's profile definitely like raised up a little bit more you could definitely yeah. like he was he's like now on the cover of entertainment weekly and like th i think that was the part that really kind of broke him in a way like that made him you know introduce him to a wider audience i mean we all knew he was he's been really good a little bit here and there. Another thing he did this season, his uh, Fran Lebowitz impression. <laughs> that was a really good impression, yes. Yeah. And so like, we knew this was, it was all leading up to this. But after that iceberg sketch, that's when everybody was like, who is that guy? That's when, mm -hmm. that's when, that's when he had arrived. In my I, I really have come to dig his uh, contributions to the show. I look forward to seeing what he does every week and what he's, he's going to do. I, I like his performances. I like his point of view. Um, I don't know if we mentioned the writers for this. Uh, this was this was Bowen with uh, Anna Dresden. Right, right. Yes, he did mention that it was like an Anna Dresden joint. I think he, mm -hmm. he collaborated with her on it. And yeah, it's it's such a memorable moment. I really dug it. Yeah, I saw an, an interview. I think he was on Seth Meyers where he was talking about um, Anna Dresden had pitched it to him very early in the season, and he was like, "Sure, yeah." And he he had apparently been thinking about it and then came back to her later in the season was like, Hey, are you still into that iceberg thing? And she had absolutely no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> and then she's like, Oh yeah, the iceberg thing. And uh, 
that's what I like about SNL. It's just an idea that ruminates and germinates rather and and people it just won't die and then the next thing you know you know you're asking props to make you a, a, an iceberg head mask and uh, right that's one of the things about SNL like I really like I'm I'm glad to hear that it's it's not just us who totally blank on sketches that the, our ideas <laughs> that the show has done it's also people on the show I think I think a little while ago we reviewed um the the documentary that uh, James Franco did a few years ago about just following SNL through the production week. Oh, and, Saturday night. Uh, yeah, yeah. And my my favorite moment from that this was he was shooting back when Seth Meyers was still head writer of the show, and Seth Meyers, I think he pitched an idea at the Monday pitch meeting, and it wasn't like a serious pitch. And then they show him like later in the doc, and I think it's like Wednesday, and he's like. Oh yeah, should I write up that thing? And I just wanted to go. You're the head writer too. Why? <laughs> how are you? How are you not doing this immediately? And it was just—he was so casual about it. It was hilarious to me. Yeah, pretty fantastic. And uh, yeah, so I, yeah, we just have to give a nod to that that star-making performance of Bo and Yang as the iceberg that uh, sunk the Titanic. That, that's a great one. Um, okay, so it's my turn. Uh, I'm going to do a, a pre-tape from early in the season. Uh, this is one that I watched this morning for the first time in months. Made me laugh out loud again. Uh, this was from the Bill Burr episode. And it's a, a pre-tape about uh, commercial advertising Sam Adams' new <laughs> pumpkin beer. Right, and right. He's, he's a genuine guy from Boston who's reviewing the beer. <laughs> And he's he's this Boston loudmouth, and he's like, "Yeah, well, you know, this is this is like if you have a party and your friend brings over this crappy beer, and then it sits in your refrigerator for eight months, and then somebody's over later on, and you're like, hey, you got anything to drink?' And you're like, hey, I got this pumpkin shit. <laughs> I mean, it's it's so great. Bill Burr was so good, and it was obviously just written around him and his his persona. Uh, it was written by Mikey Day and Streeter Seidel, who are who are two of my favorites, particularly when they're working together. And like Mikey also has a part in it as like the guy's son, and they start like beating each other up in the middle of the grocery aisle. It, it was great, really. It literally made me laugh out loud. Right? No, it's a fantastic sketch. It's definitely sort of like a a cousin to the um, the Dunkin' Donuts sketch. It seems like mm -hmm. now, whenever yeah. they have a guest host from Boston. They'll write that kind of sketch for them where they play like the stereotypical blue collar Bostonian. Uh, you know, if, if you go back and watch the Dunkin' Donuts sketch, the pre tape with uh, Casey Affleck, he kind of plays the same character. There's, so, you know, unshaven, wearing a Bruins hat and, uh, and whatnot. And uh, yeah, they both know how to play those uh, parts really well. And I mean, Bill Burr even says, like, yeah, every time I get cast, I'm like, you know, the Boston cop or the Boston construction worker or the Boston something or other right so he knows how to hit those beats really well i like the fact that he had a cast on his arm for yes. for a reason they never explain yeah never they never even mention it it's awesome yeah and then he has something somebody drew something on the cast and it's like pixelated out yeah blurred, so you know it's something really gross and yeah like somebody drew a penis on there or something and yeah, yeah but they just never explain it. it's just there and that they don't, they always get the kick out of me. And the fact that, like they, even though he, you know, he definitely does not like the beer, 
they still kept his segment in anyway in this commercial for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> and and like, even though he doesn't like the beer, he is still downing entire pints of it. Because <laughs> it's offensive. beer. It's free beer. Like, he drank the entire thing and is like, yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's very funny. And it's, just, it's great when they write to the host that well. I mean, that, mm -hmm. that was, it was pretty wonderful. I talked a lot in in the review I wrote because uh, I'm from I'm from Massachusetts originally and, oh, okay. and uh, not Boston proper but North Shore close enough and uh, I can really relate. I don't live there anymore. Uh, <laughs> I went for good reason. To, it sounds like yeah. I came to Maine to go to college and I never left. And uh, I, there's just something that he embodies uh, that just it it relates i can relate to and and that also unnerves me that makes me really appreciate every time i see bill burr i'm paying attention right uh, yeah and i i think i i sum it up just there's there's an element of aggressive uh friendliness coupled with a hair trigger of of defensiveness and hostility that mm -hmm. uh just constitutes the mass hole uh you know the that that kind of stereotype that bill burr finds himself stuck in you know that the, the it's all summed up with the phrase you think you're better than me yeah uh, you're better <laughs> than me yeah i think it, it definitely came through that one line where uh mikey as his son wanted like you know reese's puffs or something and mm -hmm. he, he you know and bill burr was like no get this out of here what do you eight yeah yeah, and then like he and then uh, Mikey kind of gives him attitude, and then Bill's like, "What's that? What? What's that? What? Is, you want to take a swing at your old? It's today the day you take a swing at your old man. <laughs> yeah, you think yeah. you're man enough? <laughs> yeah." And there was also that one part where, um, again, like I think Mike, he was sitting, he was there drinking the beer, sitting down, and Mikey was like, "Come on, Dad, let's go." And he's like, oh, "I'm here enjoying myself. Ah, oh, you're just like your mother." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that. That's very like blue collar, angry dad. I, I might have said this when we covered the show. You you got a sense that his character had a whole life outside of that commercial, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got a sense of like what he did for a living. I mean, yeah. the fact that he had that paper uh, mask around his chin. Yes, <laughs> the, the uh, unexplained cast with the blur. Uh, just so many great details. Yeah, like he, he's lived a life. He's lived a life, <laughs> yes. But yeah, right, great choice. Well, if, if I've counted right, I think we've all picked five. Wow. Of of our favorites this season. Are there have we hit all the big ones or is there are there any other highlights that we want to hit on? Uh let me think. I mean, I'm sure there's a few that we have. I mean, I, I'd feel bad if I didn't at least mention this. Uh they did another thing in in what on Reddit is calling the Diner Lobster Universe. They did yes. uh a sketch called New York Musical, uh, which is written by uh, Dan Bula, Colin Joseph, and John Mulaney, where Pete Davidson is with Chris Redd, and John Mulaney's a proprietor, and Pete Davidson is buying underwear from a new uh, Times Square souvenir shop. <laughs> As you do. As you do. And, uh, you know, we just get into all sorts of weird... New York stuff. Um, I didn't think this was quite on the same level as the others, but it's still always fun to see. I will never begrudge John Mulaney doing that whenever he comes back to host. Uh, yeah, like he's he's kind of you know made himself a little niche there. Like every time he comes back to host, now that everybody expects him to do another big New York centric musical. 
Mm-hmm. He's kind of painted. I don't want to say painted himself into a corner, but it just, it seems like if he does the if he anytime he hosts the episode, it's expected. Oh, he's gonna do that. Yeah, yeah, and you know, and like somebody's somebody's sketch is probably gonna get bumped because of it. <laughs> I I like the yeah. I agree. I agree with you guys completely. I I loved Dino Lobster, and and I thought the second one was pretty good, the Laguardia one. I think now it's just it's a case of it's an obligation now or an expectation, mm-hmm. and it's. The, the 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 thing that made the first one the Dino Lobster so so great was just the the how bizarre it was and how it came out of nowhere and how it kept doubling down on how elaborate it got for no reason True. and it was just and, and now it, it just yeah it seems kind of like what you what you expect and he's such a he's such an amazing host and a great comedian and performer that I want to see him do different stuff I guess I get that I get that yeah I mean I think it's fun when a host has something that hits so big that it's become an expected thing for them to come back to when they do. Because then most people, they only host like once a year. So you're not going to see the sketch too much. So you don't have too much of a chance to get sick of it. <laughs> um, and and part of the beauty of Dino Lobster was that it was a sketch that he wrote back in the day with, <laughs> with Colin Jost when he was a writer on the show. And because he was coming back as the host, he had the power to resurrect that and get it on the show. And then it became like this this big viral hit. And it's such a Cinderella story. You you just love to see that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I I think my favorite is probably the one with the random Jake Gyllenhaal cameo and David Byrne coming on and then (laughs) marching out the singing road to nowhere. The, the airport one, the airport sushi, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was great just because I love talking heads and, and yeah. everything David Byrne does. I mean, on, honestly, I think my favorite musical guest of this year, still David Byrne, even though he wasn't on this season. <laughs> that was last year. <laughs> I know. I know it was last season, but that's how good he was. Oh, man. Oh, did you see that HBO special he did based on his um his Broadway show? It's really good. No, I got to check that out. Check it out, people. I forget. I... Yeah, oh, Spike American... Lee directed it, right? Yes, Spike, what, Spike Jones, I think. I thought Spike Lee did it. Spike, Spike Lee. Lee. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. The, the other Spike. One of the Spikes. Yeah. One of the Spikes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. American Utopia, I believe it's called. That's it. That's it. But yeah, guys, check it out. It, it is it is something. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess I'll end it on this. Um, I'll end it on two pre-tapes that seem to hit with a lot of people just because like they were able to really identify with it. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll combine these two. Um, we could talk about the Zillow sketch on the Dan Levy <laughs> episode, mm-hmm. which yeah. a lot of people identify with. Like, you know, how, you know, as you get older, you don't really, you're not really into porn anymore and looking for houses online becomes your new uh, erotic association. Mm -hmm. And um, that really seemed to hit home with a lot of people. And uh, we could also talk about the uh, Christmas morning sketch pre-tape from the Kristen Wiig episode where everybody, the whole family comes down. The whole family comes down, talks about what they got for Christmas and mom just get to robe that was 40 percent off that was really good that was great yeah like that one hit home for a lot of people like i've noticed like a lot of moms talking about mm-hmm. you saying yeah this is this is too real and uh also a lot of people are like oh i saw this sketch and i i did just get my mom a robe for christmas <laughs> i should i should go back out and buy her something else yeah, yeah. and yeah, in so- the sketch it's like she's she she's talking about she's pretending to be happy she's wearing the robe while she's making everybody else breakfast right yeah. <laughs> she burned her hand but she didn't say anything because she keeps the pain inside of her 
<laughs> that was really good. Yeah, I, that one had faded in my memory because it was it was earlier in the season. But yeah, right. And we get an uh, appearance from um, Chloe Feynman's actual dog Peach at the end of it, who also <laughs> gets a robe. <laughs> I I love seeing cast members actual dogs, and and a thing I really miss this season is that just because of COVID, we didn't get to have a sketch where it was just basically about Cecily Strong playing with dogs. <laughs> yeah, sorry, man. I, I like after one of her dog sketches, I commented on uh, her her Instagram. I was just like, if they just remade the show into an hour and a half of Cecily Strong playing with dogs, I would still watch and enjoy that. And she was like, I would enjoy that too. So, oh. so maybe. I mean, I mean, well, I mean, maybe not be because uh, I mean, I don't know. At the end of at the um, the final episode today, this I mean, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about who's going to stay, who's going to. Yeah, let's go. get into it now, man. All right, sure. Um, right. Actually, well, no, Dennis, was there any other sketches that we missed that you want to oh. briefly before we talk about, you know, who's staying, who's going, and just the season as a uh, whole? Just briefly, uh, I was really a fan of uh, the Maya Ing, the the Shining parody that Maya Rudolph did at the end of her episode. Oh uh, yes, okay. Visiting the backstage ghosts, and uh, I thought that was the best thing I've ever seen Alex Moffat do, just because he freaked me out as kind of uh, Floyd the bartender, uh, and. Um, I don't know. It, it it was one of those sketches that was just so inside uh and felt kind of like valedictory, kind of like a, a kind of like a, a reverential thing for for a legendary performer, but it really worked for me and uh I love the the button on it where uh Maya is uh, shown in the photograph shining style as being one of the original uh not ready for primetime players uh, with her arm around Dan Aykroyd and uh I just thought it was it was sweet and funny and uh and uh, and I really liked it. I remember I was a little more mixed on that, but I can't remember what I wasn't nuts about on it. I just um, remember like certain bits and pieces of it. Oh, see, oh, Dennis, see, now he doesn't oh, like no. one of your sketches. Oh, and the clapback is happening. That's right. <laughs> the clapping. See, see how it feels, Dennis. Yep, I do. It hurts. It hurts. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, the yeah, that Maya Rudolph episode. I remember it not being one of the strongest, but I did. Yeah. I was disappointed in that episode overall. Me too. I yeah. really, yeah, I was I mean, really surprised by that one, by how much that one didn't grab me. Yeah, no, and we could talk about that too. But yeah, I remember that that uh, ten to one that. My ink sketch being one of the things I did enjoy about it. I did like that one uh, that one part of it where she's looking at the pictures of everybody that's hosted. She sees a picture of Kevin Spacey. She stares at it, waits a beat, says nothing, turns her head, and leaves. Yep. Like the, yeah, there was something about that. It's just like yeah, you don't. We all know what she's thinking. It doesn't need to be said, and that just makes it all the more funnier. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and I also like that they had uh, Rachel Dratch as yeah. the lady in the in the bathtub from The Shining. I mean, th there were things I liked in that. Uh, I'd had to rewatch it. I didn't rewatch it for for this show. So, right, uh, Tina Fey made an appearance as a fictional uh, SNL writer from the seventies, too. Yeah, I yep. I noted in the in the review she looked very similar to uh, Lawrence' ex wife Rosie Schuster, who was one of the original writers on the show which i thought was really fascinating it was and tina fey was you know she was one of the writers too and and uh fey wrote the sketch and co-wrote the sketch and joking about uh you know how women on the show have come a long time since they figured out that women they should let women talk yes like that's that. a great line that's yeah. a, and that's such a tina fey line too yeah you've come a long way baby yeah <laughs> 
Our, all right, yeah, so let's talk about the our, our thoughts on the season overall. Um, I mean, I think overall, I enjoyed it for the most part. I, I definitely think there were some episodes that were stronger than others, but that's always happened. Uh, I was yeah. su- I was honestly surprised, uh, to speak to your point, John, about the Maya Rudolph. I was surprised about how there were some episodes where, like with the guest host, we thought it would be like a slam dunk of an episode, like an amazing episode, and it just turned right. out to be okay. And yeah. there were other episodes where we didn't know the, the host really, we weren't familiar with their work. And they were like first-time hosts, but those episodes ended up being some of the best, like mm-hmm. uh, like the Dom- John Mulaney episode, the Kristen Wiig, Maya Rudolph, uh, even the I guess Chris Rock episodes. Those ended up being not too stellar, but I mean some of the strongest episodes were, you know, the Daniel Kaluuya and mm-hmm. um, you know Timothy Chalamet. Like like I didn't Reggae see those Sean Page. I thought did a really nice job. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, well, the audience for that was they would. Agree with you. <laughs> there was a lot Incredibly. of hooting and hollering. Yeah, that Ooh, got boy. a little tiresome. Like the Beatles. Yeah, it's like the Beatles came off the plane in that one. I thought I thought Gary <laughs> Mulligan did a really strong job on her yeah. show. I thought that yeah. was a, that was a strong show, and maybe, maybe I'm rating it higher because it's a little fresher in my mind because it was episode 17. But I thought that was a good one. Uh, yeah. Keegan Michael Key, I thought was going to be a home run, and I think he he pretty much was. I re- he he's probably the host I would most want to see come back. Yeah, as far as people coming back, I would like to see Keegan, uh, you know, Chalamet, and uh, Dan Levy. I think Dan, the Dan Levy episode was good, but maybe for some sketches, the writing wasn't quite there. But I think he's mm-hmm. good. And I, of course, I, yeah. I love the fact that uh, we got an appearance from his dad, Eugene, in, in, <laughs> in, the, in the cold open as well. How can, how can you not like uh, Eugene Levy popping yeah. up? That's right. He's, he's Canada's uh, sweetheart. Canada? Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna try to say Canadian sweetheart, but now I was gonna say Canada's sweetheart, and my brain just just failed me. And I said Canadian sweetheart. And so you said Canadia. That's not a that's not a country. That's not a thing. No, it's it's not. And we mm. all think you're dumb now. Well, that's uh, <laughs> fair. Fair. Yeah, that's a fair I'm point. tough, but fair. Um, and Dan, also, I guess, yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, ah. Darren, do you have more opinions? Come on. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll let I'll let our, our guest talk. Yeah, yeah. That's um, right. Because you lost all credibility with the Canadian thing. Sorry. I'll I'll show myself out. All um, right. See that you do. <laughs> Dennis? Yes. <laughs> do, you have, do you have a host you particularly like to somebody who surprised you or somebody you'd like to see come back uh, next year? I yeah. Um I would agree with you guys, like the ones. I think SNL has a real problem with returning uh, cast members. Hmm. They they generally uh, they rely on old sketches, old characters. Yeah. The wig one I thought was just an absolute bummer to me. Um, it started off I mean, like the first sketch after the monologue was Secret Word. Yeah, and like you're really setting your setting the ambition right right in the middle. Starting starting off with a sketch that was really tired by the time she left the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that happens. I I, I think um, I mean Chappelle's always good, um, uh, just because he's Chappelle, you know. And yeah, I mean, he's, he, he's, yeah. I just I was, always think that he's kind of like he's so towering a figure in comedy that he's kind of he's kind of above the show in a way. And the fact yeah. that he's there yeah. is a big deal. 
Um, yeah, I mean, we didn't even mention that. Like, he came through with, uh, you know, right after, right as the election, the result of the election came through, yeah. and and yeah. he came through. Yeah, and he even came through with uh, one the longest monologue in SNL history. Oh, really? Yeah, I think it was like fifteen minutes or something. I mean, when somebody a stand-up of Chappelle's stature hosts the show, I'm always like, okay, well, if, if nothing else, I'm gonna get like ten or so minutes of great stand-up out of the show. And mm-hmm. and that's fine. I mean, that's that's what I look forward to when Ch- uh, Chappelle or John Mulaney is hosting. Or, you know, back in the day when, like, Louis C.K. could still host SNL. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, but, and, I, and I thought he was a solid host. So he was uh, a good host. Yeah. Uh, yeah, his, his monologue, 16 minutes long. Wow. Yeah. I, I think with the Dave Chappelle show, I wanted something that had the same sort of bite as the one that he did right after Trump got elected. Yeah. Where Chris Rock, you know, they, they, it was all the, the white liberals in their mm-hmm. bubble watching the election returns and they just don't understand how Donald Trump got elected. And Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock are like, oh, yeah, maybe America's <laughs> racist. Hmm, let's think on that. <laughs> I mean, um, that was such a strong sketch, and I wanted something else that spoke to the time agreed. the way that did. And maybe that's too high an expectation to put on them. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, the okay. fact with the Chappelle show, uh, with the Chappelle episode, like it was weird how he just did that sixteen-minute monologue, and he really wasn't in the show that much. He was like in two sketches, and, and that was it. And that was probably because I think, like we said, we didn't know how the how the election would go, mm-hmm. so we didn't. I guess they didn't just write really. Didn't have enough sketches to write, you know, about. I mean, he he does a good Dennis Haysbert. He does. <laughs> <laughs> Look at Pete Davidson's lips. You know, stop calling me old state guy. I have a name. It's guy from waiting to exhale. I mean, that's a that's a good joke, and it's that's something I easily could have seen happening on Chappelle's show. Yeah, and he introduced it like a Chappelle show sketch. Like yeah, he, came he did. Back and he was on center stage, just uh, kind of talking. Yeah, uh, you know, point. and talking very serious terms about all the black people who've been disproportionately affected by COVID and losing their jobs. And then it cuts to a sketch about Uncle Ben and Aunt Jemima losing their corporate sponsorships. I was just yeah. like, that that was a funny joke in and of itself, just the transition. I, I loved the absurdity of that sketch. I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it could have been a little stronger, but yeah, I, I like that one. Um, do we want to talk about Dennis, is there anybody that you think is probably leaving the show or might not be coming back for whatever reason? Well, the way that they set up the cold open and the 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 finale sure seemed like a goodbye without saying goodbye to to Kate, Adi, Cecily, and Keenan. And yeah. I don't know that that's a thing that's going to happen. I I have no inside insight on that, but it just. Ugh. You know, it's it's such a weird year and it's been such a weird two years that mm-hmm. you don't even I have a sense that's why they didn't let anybody go last year and why the cast is so huge. Yeah. The way uh, I put it, it was 20 just, people now. Yeah. It's just kind of yeah. like the way I, it's like you in, in sports. I know you guys said you aren't sports guys, but I am. But the that's fine. The idea that <laughs> you know, if you're if you're a starter and you get hurt, you don't lose your job because you got hurt. You get a chance to you know, you know, to to win your job back when you get back off the DL, and I kind of thought that this was kind of a, like an asterisk year, like you said. 
Yeah. It's like everybody's here. And like this season, I think was definitely, we were talking about, you know, the idea that as the season went on, you saw the second and third tier uh, cast members being pushed more into the forefront and the, and the big players being kind of maybe eased back a little. And I think that's the show recognizing that what Darren said, that we're heading for a rebuilding year, that some of those people I think are going to leave. And if I had to guess, I think it's Kate and AD and Cecily. If I had to put my money on any one person leaving, it would be Cecily because if for no other reason than her Janine Pirro <laughs> on weekend update, that felt like such a, goodbye yeah and we also had her revisiting the gamma character in the keegan michael key episode so it felt like she was running through her go-to's uh you know just for for like one last victory lap uh yeah i mean i agree with john like that that uh that janine piero you know, weekend update segment that that really seemed like like uh, her way of saying i'm I'm leaving without her actually saying I'm leaving. Like I'd be like, but she's leaving it all on the field, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I mean, if like after doing that, if she came back the next season, I'd be very surprised. Yeah. Um, and also she's got her, her Apple TV series, uh, Schmigadoon. I don't know when that's premiering, but she, she was absent from the first six episodes of the season. Yeah. So was 80 really. Yeah. 80 was, uh, she took some time off to film the last season of shrill, but she, I don't think she's leaving. I don't get the sense that she's leaving. Okay. It's possible. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, uh, I don't feel like Kate McKinnon was really saying goodbye. Yeah. I don't know. I just have a feeling. I don't know. Yeah. Been I mean, there a long time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, absolutely. And I, I would miss her horribly if she left, mm -hmm. but I would not yeah. be surprised if she left. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, you gotta, we gotta remember like uh, Kate, and eighty have been there since twenty twelve. It's mm -hmm. we're we're it's coming up on yeah we're coming up on a decade of them being on the show, and I would feel like if they were leaving, there would be this you know big grand finale you know sketch for them like you know like yeah. a she's a rainbow type of yeah. person wig goodbye like if they just left and this episode the last episode was their last episode it would seem very anticlimactic, so that's the only reason I'm thinking they're not going to leave right. And Keenan, uh, the pe babies who were born when he started on the show can can vote now. <laughs> yeah, literally, that's how long he's been on the show. I mean, it's ridiculous. Two thousand three. Uh, at this point, I think Keenan is going to be on until the heat death of the universe. <laughs> um, Dennis, well, you're you're a comic fan. I'm assuming you've you've read Sandman, right? Oh sure, yeah. You know, like there was that line that Death had where it's like, "I'm going to be here until the end of the universe." And then I clean up and then lock the door behind me when I leave. <laughs> I feel like that's Keenan. Yeah, and, and, and unlike some other cast members who maybe stayed past their, their expiration date on the show, I, I have no problem with it. I, I, I think that in some ways this is what Keenan this is where Keenan was born to end up because he's so good at it and he's so comfortable in it. And everybody's mm -hmm. just always happy to see him. Yeah, I think that's a th that that is a that's a great point because I feel like a lot of people, uh, you know, have has kind of felt maybe they're a little get, getting a little tired of you know Kate and eighty. Like whenever we see a sketch where it's the two of them just kind of playing off each other, just kind of amusing themselves, people are like, oh god, it's another Kate and eighty sketch. Mm -hmm. Or even um, this season with the um, Kate's uh, Doctor We Notice character, people mm -hmm. are like, all right, this is just this is just Kate being Kate, you know, yeah. amusing herself. 
And uh, so I think if if Kate left, people would be all right with it. But yeah, Keenan hasn't reached that level yet. Keenan, a lot of people just really enjoy seeing him. They enjoy his energy. They enjoy how he just can make his, inject his energy into a sketch and make it better and elevate it. Um, the audience seems to love him. He doesn't want to seem to leave. The people at SNL don't really seem to be pushing him out. It's 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 a really like rare occurrence that. People are just like, yeah, just stay on for another 10 years. We're fine with it. We love you. And like, there, Yeah, there are very few. I mean, even some of my favorite performers at the end, I was like, okay, it's enough. Because they became yeah. just such time and and uh, they just became vacuums for airtime. You know, I, I was attention. honestly, and not that I don't like her or uh, that she isn't talented, I was so sick of Kristen Wiig by the time they, she Absolutely. Because she was exactly dominating was the show so much. <laughs> Yeah, and, no, absolutely. And I, I, I feel that way with Keenan sometimes. I don't feel like he dominates the show as much as he used to, but sometimes I'm just like, oh, Keenan. And other times <laughs> I'm like, oh, he's really strong in this. I see why he's been around for so long. So I go back yeah. and forth on Keenan. Yeah. And uh, another character or another performer who seems to have said something on the last episode that may allude to the fact that he's leaving, uh, Pete Davidson. Yeah. Like, um, mm. After his weekend update segment, yeah, he kind of said that those words where he was saying, "Yeah, you know, it's been an honor growing up in front of you," which it, that definitely sounds like he's on his way out. And um, also, mm -hmm. people are noting his um, his appearance on the the Hollywood Reporter Roundtable, where it was like him, Chris Red, and uh, Ted Danson. There were just like a bunch of people in comedy, and I think they mentioned Keenan's name, and then Pete Davidson said something offhandedly saying, "Yeah, I don't know how." Keenan does. He's, he'll, he's like Carl Malone. He's just there forever. I'm ready to hang in my jersey. <laughs> and like a lot of people heard that line and were like, oh, is Pete leaving? And yeah. I don't know. I, hmm. I It wouldn't surprise me if that episode was his last episode, too. I, like I could see it either way, honestly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's I been there for a while. If, if whoever leaves, I hope they don't bring in even more new people for a little while. Let, let the people that we have there develop a little more. Like, I don't feel like Lauren Holt or Punky Johnson got good breakout moments this season, and I'd, no. I'd like to see both of them really hit one out of the park, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I mean, Punky had a few things here and there, like when she played Queen Latifah in the Rap Roundtable sketch, and, mm -hmm. um, you know, she was in a few other sketches here and there. She had that one segment where she played, like, that stripper pineapple on the weekend yeah. update which, which was all right but yeah it, it didn't really like you know kind of you know make it didn't burst her on the scene like maybe andrew dismukes uh weekend update yeah I, like andrew dismukes i feel like i have more of a sense of what he's like as a performer and i don't feel like i've seen enough of lauren and punky to really have a good sense of them still and right. and that's very typical for the first year that somebody's on the show but yeah yeah, I, I think no. I think my uh, here's where I have to say. <laughs> well that's sigh. That's I I I don't want because this has been this has been tons of fun, guys, and I love it. And I love I love that you guys are the best fans are the ones who are able to have perspective, and I think you guys do well, on thank the you. show. It's like you you love it for for its faults and not in spite of them. And that's the same with me, and and I don't want to be a downer. Uh, and, and what I'm going to say is going <laughs> to maybe challenge oh, that. Wah, well, wah. I think 
that it's absolutely true that the show has not is way overstuffed too many people yeah. and they don't they haven't given enough time to you know the new kids or that second tier kind of you know like like Heidi and and Red and 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 people like that who are in the wings to really show what they can do because I, partly i mean last year was much much worse in the last couple of years but as far as you know ringers coming in and taking roles and and things like that but also just the cast is too big there isn't enough room so yeah. i get that's absolutely i think absolutely true that we need the show needs to give them more room that said i don't know that i have the faith that i need in that cast outside the five four or five kind of heavy hitters to really carry the show at this point yeah i don't i don't th nobody there's been a vacuum because you know cecily and, and 80 were gone there were episodes where kate or keenan were light and you're like the these are the times where even in an overstuffed cast a featured player or a second tier cast member could take the show on their back and stand out and say okay I, i'm seizing my moment and i don't right. know that this cast is i don't want to say capable of doing that but they certainly don't seem motivated to do that or maybe it's just a question of know, yeah some people have that and some don't and i don't know so that's what it, i'll say <laughs> it's such a weird alchemy of yeah. what it takes to be successful on the show and there are people that i love who've been on the show but for whatever reason they didn't work or they didn't break out mm -hmm. as an SL cast member for and, and there there are just so many variables to it it's just such a, a weird thing yeah no I, I agree I mean um I mean we've talked about on this podcast numerous times how Melissa doesn't get her oh chance to shine like I mean mm -hmm. people have been saying it since she's you know gotten on the show where she'll have a breakout moment here and then I'll just never get followed up on and it, it never gets like you know, brought up more. And it's, it is to me, it is weird to me still that like they still haven't been able to figure out how to use Melissa's talents. But, you know, Chloe, who's been on the show not as long as her, gets to, it seems like she's getting more mm -hmm. screen time than Melissa. And it's like, and it's I mean, I, I'm not yeah. here, I'm not poo pooing Chloe at all. Chloe's great. No. Yeah, she, she Chloe's does great, great. I think Heidi Gardner's great. I think Ego uh, had a really good year. Mm -hmm. Uh, especially with with the uh, Dion Warwick show factored in, that was a strong sketch. I didn't mention that in my favorites, but oh right, yeah, that was fantastic. That that was great, and half the reason it was great, at least, was because of her performance. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, no. I feel like Chris Red is underrated. I think he's a, mm -hmm. he's a strong performer. I mean, I I like most everybody in the cast to some degree. There, there's hardly anybody that i look at and i'm just like oh this person again <laughs> uh yeah chris red he, he's an, he's another dude who's just like his i i, I would implore everybody to go back and watch his his uh pre-tape uh it's in the, like it's it's, it's in the game. game yeah on the harry styles episode because he's doing some next level he stuff. was there too he was there too he was he's, there too <laughs> like he just he carries that sketch don't like, effortlessly. sleep on chris red people Absolutely, I like um, the, the one he did the the Vietnam sketch as well. The, the that was a cut for time. That was thing, cut for time. That was, really that was on he my was list, great. man. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah they just did him dirty this year. The, the The hero is a great sketch. It's from the Daniel Kaluuya episode. Go check that out if you haven't seen it. Absolutely. 
Uh, so yes, I mean, so as far as the next season, forty-seven coming up, I mean, what do what do we think? Is like, do we? I mean, like, do we have faith that maybe it's it's on the right track, or do we think we're getting another like a new like a, what you call it like a it's going in a new direction or what do we want to see going forward? <laughs> basically, is what I'm trying to say here. It's uh, Dennis. Do you want to tackle it first, or should I? <laughs> oh, like, do we need first. new writers? Do we need new cast members? Less cast members? I mean, it's it's always nice to have like some fresh blood. I, I wouldn't mind some fresh blood in the writers' room. I think they have some strong writers. I mean, Streeter Seidel is somebody whose stuff I consistently like on the show. I've discovered. I particularly discovered when I was working on this list. I like a lot of Colin Joe's writing. I think maybe I have more of a problem with him as a performer than as a writer. I feel like he's a stronger writer than performer, maybe. Uh, Gary fair. Richardson. Um, you're, you're right, Dennis. He's written some strong stuff. Um, what other names am I seeing popping up on my the sketches uh, I like a lot? Dambula. Uh, Anna, Anna Driesen. Uh Yeah, Sudi Green, who left. This was her last yeah. uh, season. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Like I didn't know that until like I think uh, Bowen put it, talked about it on his uh, Instagram, saying, "Oh, this yeah. is the last." Oh. And like, actually, if you go back to the uh, college panel sketch, they actually mentioned Sudi Green's name in it. They gave her a little shout yeah. out, <laughs> which well, I didn't notice until uh, until recently. Yeah, uh, Anna Driesen is is one of the uh, co-head writers um, alongside Michael Che, Colin Jost, and Kent Sublette, making her the wow. f- first female head writer since Sarah Schneider. And actually, I do have a list of the writing staff for the season. I might as well just read everybody's names uh, real fast yeah. just so we can give everybody a shout out. Give um, them their flowers. This is, yeah, <laughs> this is uh, this is in alphabetical order. Uh, Dan Bula, Megan uh, Callahan Shaw. She's a weekend update writer. Uh, Stephen Castillo, Michael Che, co-head writer. Emma Clark, Anna Driesen, co-head writer. Allison Gates. Fran Gillespie, writing supervisor. Sudi Green, writing supervisor. Steve Higgins, Sam J. Colin Jost, co-head writer. Eric Kenward, uh, Dan Licata, Dennis uh, McNicholas, who's a Weekend Update writer. Lauren Michaels, I think that, that kid's going places. Uh, <laughs> Josh Patton, Weekend Update. Uh, Jasmine Pierce, Gary Richardson, Pete Schultz, Weekend Update head writer. Streeter Seidel, writing supervisor. Mark Steinbeck, Weekend Update, Will Steven, uh, Kent Sublette, uh, co-head writer, Brian Tucker, senior writer. Uh, he definitely deserves a shout-out. He co-wrote the uh, great uh, Janine Pirro piece with uh, <laughs> Cecily Strong. And uh, Celeste Yim. So that is the writing staff for season 46. Woo! Good boy. Woo! That dog. All right, cool. That's a great shout-out. You know, there, there's one thing I, w- I want to hit on. I know we've probably gone really long <laughs> yeah, on this episode. So I'm just going to hit on this real quickly. Something that that I usually talk about on our season wrap-up show, which is very important, which is the Wikipedia profile pictures of the let's cast talk, members. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. <laughs> okay. Uh, first off, uh, Andrew Dismukes has a Wikipedia profile picture now. We did it, America. Uh, he, he looks like he's about 15 in the shot. It's like so, a selfie. So it's um, recent. It's like a mirror selfie, but yeah. Um, so congrats on that. <laughs> uh, Lauren Holt has a very nice Wikipedia picture. Punky Johnson, no picture. Bowen Yang has a painting of himself 
<laughs> I don't know what I don't know what that's about. You can do that. I don't know. I don't. I don't think most of these people are picking their own pictures. Um, oh, I see. They just go with like artist renderings, um, like courtroom sketches. Yeah, most most of the other um, people have Chris Red. No, no Wikipedia picture. Uh, Ego. No Wikipedia picture. What is going on here? I don't know. I don't know. Oh. Most of the other people have unchanged. Um, and there are a few that still need to be changed because yeah. <laughs> it's them. It's awkward pictures of them blinking or something. But I want to give a shout out to whoever put the new picture up on Mikey Day's Wikipedia page. It's a nice picture. It's him on the street of New York. He's given like the, the high sign and he's pulling his mask down and doing like a like mock gangster pose. And it's it's got a nice personality to it. So nice. I'm giving Mikey Day the most improved Wikipedia picture <laughs> prize. Have they changed Alex Moffat's page? Because I remember that being really Alex like... Moffat's. He's it's him in the middle of a stand-up set, and it, it, it he looks deranged. Yeah, I remember that. Like I yeah. was like, Alex, baby, talk to your people. Get that. Al fixed. Alex needs a new picture. Pete Davidson needs a new picture. It's a very unflattering picture. <laughs> it, it's like a. a a bad driver's license picture because it's got him in like mid blink, and and Cecily Strong also mid blink in her picture. There's got to be more flattering pictures of of uh, Cecily Strong out there. Yeah, we got to do better, people. We got to do better. I mean, most everybody else looks good. Kate McKinnon has a nice picture now. Oh, nice. Oh, I don't fantastic. know how it works, but wouldn't wouldn't don't they pay people to make sure that there are good pictures of them out there? <laughs> I I think with the Wikipedia pictures they like they have to have the rights to use that that right. post. So it has to be like something in public domain or they get permission from the photographer. And I think fans can <laughs> upload their own pictures. Uh, so I don't know. I'm not going to pretend I know entirely how it works, but I'm just hey. saying we we got to do better. We get come on guys. A few of these people. It's 2021. We can we also, can do also, better. It seems like they've added everybody's middle names to their, <laughs> to that, their Wikipedia pages. Were people clamoring for that? I don't know. I don't know, but uh, it just got a little <laughs> easier for to steal the identities of SNL cast members. I guess. Hey. <laughs> so not that we would do that. Not that we would do that. We don't know. We don't You know, allegedly, allegedly, it would be easier to do that. I'm not saying I'm planning to do that. I'm just saying that if you're out there and that's your ambition, your job just got a little easier. That's right, but you didn't. You didn't hear it from us. You did not get that idea from us. No, no. Don't 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 try to come for us once you get arrested. Uh, okay. This is wow. This is a great talk, man. This is a great talk about the season. Uh, hey, let's read some tweets. We got some tweets about yeah. uh, this. Ep you know, we we said we were gonna do this episode. Um, we heard from our, our good friend Ruby the Rube, uh, who goes under Ruby Kazarinsky right now, saying uh, just at a base level. How funny was this season? Like, how much did it make you laugh compared to other eras you enjoy? Um, I don't know. That's a that's a bit of a tricky Big question. question. Yeah. Um. Hmm. <laughs> I I think for me, it's one of those things where you're always going to think the show was at its best when you were like 14. Yeah, mm -hmm. I would say that too. Um. So like you know my in my heart my favorite era is probably always going to be the the Dana Carvey Phil Hartman Jan Hooks era. 
Yeah, and I would agree. Because I, you know, one, I think it was a really strong cast and they, they had strong writing, but also because it's like when that's when I was really discovering the show. Yeah, so I that, would agree. The, the nostalgia is always going to be mixed in there, you know? Yeah, I would say that too. I mean, I, and also I think it's just one of those things you kind of look back on it on rose colored glasses and like look, you know, yep. just kind of remember the good stuff. Because like I was thinking, oh, this season was okay. Like I, mm -hmm. I remember a few things I liked here and there, but then when we did this episode, I wrote down all the sketches I liked, and it turned out there's like a ton of stuff I really liked from mm -hmm. all these episodes, like stuff we didn't even talk about. We didn't even talk about um, the Eminem stand pre-tape where mm -hmm. Davidson was Stu. We didn't talk about uh, strolling to the polls on the John Mulaney episode. <laughs> I thought for sure you were going to bring that one up. I was, I was thinking about it, but then like uh, these other ones, I, I had more to say. I right. About. Um, I mean the, the. Uh, the Drew Barrymore show, where we see Chloe Feynman's Drew Barrymore impression, five-hour empathy on yeah. Issa Rae. I mean, um, there was that one sketch, uh, the hailstorm sketch, during Chappelle's episode. It was like oh, towards right. the end. Yes. I yeah. mean, uh, African tourism during Adele's episode. You know, like you can feel it in your stomach. I mean, my God. <laughs> um, I I would just like to throw in my pick for the only I think the only real ten to one sketch this year, which was the Ratatouille sketch. That one worked oh, for me so that, Yeah, that one was a weird one, but yeah. I, I did I, enjoy I, it. <laughs> I, I remember thinking that one was more weird than funny. Yeah, but that's where that, that sort of thing belongs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was an odd... That was an. I was like, whoa, what were they yeah. on when they wrote this? This It's fantastic. But yeah, so I think it's one of those things where... I don't know, it's... I, I, there were a lot, there was, I mean, as much as people will complain about the season saying, oh, Kate's been on for too long. It's another Kate and 80 sketch. Oh, mm -hmm. you know, roll their eyes and these cold opens are too long and too political and blah, blah, blah. There, there is a lot of, there was a lot of good in this season. I thought like, I, we definitely get to see a lot, a lot more and hear more from the newer people. And uh, yeah, there, there was, a. I, I enjoyed this season. I thought it was a, Overall, I thought it was a thumbs up. There were not yeah. great things here and there, but overall, it was good. I like something. Something that surprised me when I was putting this together is uh, there were a lot of cut for time sketches that I really liked. Like they did a second Middle Age Mutant Ninja Turtles. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, that was that was Dan Beulah and Stephen uh, Castillo. Uh, the hero, which we mentioned, um, the the rap diss uh, from the Keegan Michael Key show, I thought was hilarious and should have been in the show. Uh, Beanie Babies that I mentioned at the top of the show, that was uh, uh, Bowen Yang, uh, Julio Torres, and Celeste Yim. Uh, that's very funny. That's from the Daniel Kilua show. Right, right. No, that was a strong one. So, uh, but yeah, Dennis, what, what are your thoughts yeah. on um, the question Ruby asked? Oh, boy, oh boy. Um, like what you guys said, I mean, you, you tend to, SNL tends to fix at a point for for different people at different ages and i <clears throat> not to be not to try to make myself sound different i think uh it actually happened a lot later for me i think i looking back i think i think the the strongest era of the show as far as talent and just overall just like bursting with different creative energy was when you had uh uh, Sudeikis and, and mm -hmm. Sandberg and Hader and Forte and Polar and Maya and, and Tina Fey and all these people who've gone on to just 
own comedy since leaving the show yeah. were all there and all pitching just out weird stuff just like that was in their own voice and that was just i don't know that that it's hard to compete with that for me um that's a strong era too yeah, yeah. That, that's absolutely one of my favorite errors in the show this season, you know, ups and downs, strikes and gutters, as the dude said. I, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I'd give it a, a thumbs up in the sense that it's SNL. It's, it's going to be that, and it isn't, it isn't the strongest show in the season in the show's history. But I, I certainly, I think it was better than some that even, you know, in the last time I've reviewed the show, I think, I think it's, it had, it, it was more hit than miss. Okay. Uh, fair enough. And let's, well, I guess we'll just end it on this, uh, tweet from, uh, T Jones mm-hmm. saying, uh, which sketches in season 46, Hugh closest, I guess he meant to say are the closest, are yeah. closest to the ones from SNL's early years. Once Kate, 80, Keenan and Cecily leave, who do you think, who do you expect to rise to the top? And did any writers impress you this year, particularly if you didn't know this story exists, it does. And then he clicks, he shows, he, uh, included the reddit link to all the uh, writers yeah uh, and, I think... and thank you for tweeting that at us that was very helpful uh in putting this show together and because yeah we do like to give credit to the writers wherever we can i don't know why they don't put the writing credits up on youtube give credit um, where credit's due snl yeah mm-hmm. uh i think we answered most of these questions um <laughs> as far well, as when one, certainly yeah yeah uh i mean as far as when kate 80 keenan and cecily leave um, I think Ego's going straight to the top. I think Heidi's going to the top. Uh, Bowen definitely is going to go is going straight to the top. Uh, I think Chloe might be on her is on her way, but I don't think she's mm-hmm. there quite yet. Um, those are my three. I think Ego, Heidi, and Bowen are definitely going to be the, the next uh, the next crop of kids to sort of take over once the uh, the old guard leaves. Yeah, I I, I agree with all that. Cool. And um, I, yeah, oh, so, uh, I, Dennis, what were you going to say? Oh, no, no. I, I, I'd go with those. I, I'd throw Red up there if he still wants to do it. I always have the sense that he's got other opportunities. He could he could decide to to bail at some point. But I, I think he could he could carry it. Carry I mean, a good he, you know, he's on Keenan's sitcom, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. So And, he does, and he's still doing stand-up. Yep. Right. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I'd love to see more uh, Chris Red. I'd love to see him give more love and shine. Uh, but I, I mean, those three, I would definitely say are gonna, or the next, uh, next in line to, uh, assume the mantle, Heidi, Ego, Bowen. Uh, and as far as sketches that are closer to the ones from the early years, um, I would say the amusement park sketch from the Nick Jonas episode. Cause like that was one of those sketches. Again, it was, it's all dialogue. The, the humor was very kind of quiet and subtle. And it, it definitely reminded me of maybe like. 80s 90s era of snl i would say that and the mirror workout sketch because just because that one had like a solid ending like the old snl sketches did yeah fair enough fair enough yeah, yeah. um yeah i don't i don't know how to answer that question i mean it's a great <laughs> yeah. question it's just a tough question to answer yeah we got weird questions here what, what are the what are the closest to the snl earlier it's just such a different show these days because it's they've they've figured out how to do it so much better from a technical standpoint i mean they they do things that the original show would never have been able to even attempt um and i don't know if like the writing has the same sense of 
danger and all that. But 46 seasons in, I don't know if it can. I don't think that's a realistic expectation. So, no, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just such a different thing these days. It's it's tough to compare them, really. Yeah, no, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah, and um, I don't know. I guess that's our episode, guys. <laughs> uh, we... You know, there, there's there's one more thing. I know <laughs> um, we did get a uh, a new review on Apple Podcasts that I oh, wanted we did. To... Yep, yep. I just noticed that. I looked this morning. Um, oh boy! No, I've read it. I've read it. It's cool. All right, all right, all right. This, this is the I first. Time... Now. This is literally the first I'm hearing of this. But yeah, yeah, oh, all right. No. I, it's okay if one of us is surprised by it. If both of us are surprised by it, that's no good. Um, but this is from a Flash fan number one. I uh, left this on Monday. Gave us a five star review. Thank you very much. Uh, headline is medium talents. Which... <laughs> Tip of the hat there. Um, and he says, a very accurate dissection of the SNL show. Can't go wrong with these two. So thank you very much, Flash fan, number one. Thanks, Flash. Right back at you. Flash. Uh... <laughs> but uh, I mean, medium talents, I think that is my new favorite uh, headline for the review. For a review. I, I, I embrace that title wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's the cleverest we're ever going to get, I think. So, so thank you for that. And yeah, please uh, leave some more uh, ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast thing. Um, yeah, we're, I'm going to try and uh, get us out there more. So, yeah, so we're, we're making a push, guys. Like uh, next by uh, the next season, we're you're going to see us more and more in like a whole bunch of places. This is yeah. this is our year, baby. And and please, uh, like, let us know what you want to hear on the podcast uh if there's a project you want us to cover if there's somebody you want us to try and interview let us know um the, the best way to do that is through our twitter account it's at snl nerds show and uh darren and i are both on twitter as well i'm at trumbull comic that's t-r-u-m-b-u-l-l and the word comic and uh i'm on twitter and instagram at darren credible that's d-a-r-i incredible and uh mr dennis parkins ah. is the- is there anything you want to say, anything you want to plug, anything you want to promote? Uh, any final thoughts and words you want to say to the good people? Oh, uh, just this has been a ton of fun, you guys. This has been great. And uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I love talking uh, SNL. And, uh, you know, it, it seems like we've been talking for a long time. And it seems like we could probably go for a long time more. But um, yeah, uh, if you want to find me, I'm at Dennis Perkins 5. That's the number five on Twitter. Uh, and you can always find my stuff at the AV Club. And it's a Dennis with two N's. Two N's, yes. Two N's. At Dennis Perkins 5. And yeah, and yeah, uh, we, we love seeing your uh, your features on, on the AV Club. So yeah, give give Dennis a follow. Yeah, do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you know, Dennis, you're you're welcome back anytime, man. Oh hey, I I I await your call anytime you want me. <laughs> Oh, and you know, one more thing uh, I should mention, uh, this is our episode for this week, but we've got a bonus episode coming because apparently this episode just wasn't long enough. We recorded <laughs> a, a bonus episode with SNL writer Hugh Fink, uh, who wrote for the show for uh, between 1995 and 2002. We had oh, wow. a, a great conversation with him uh, just about all about 
comedy and and what it takes to do the show. Uh, he's a stand-up as well. He's got some great stories to tell. So check that out. Right now, it's up on our Patreon um, exclusively, um, and we're we're going to do some more exclusive Patreon content. But it's going to be uh, up for everybody to listen to on Tuesday, the second. Yeah, so give it a listen, people. It's it's sorry it's Tuesday good stuff. the first. Right, give it a listen, people. It's good stuff. We wouldn't steer you wrong. Yep. All right. Okay. I th- are we finally done? I think so. What day is it? I don't know. I don't know. We've been <laughs> recording forever. We've we've had a couple technical screw ups along the way, so it, I have no idea what this what the length of this episode is going to be. But I feel like it's going to be long. So uh, Frank Frank's going to love this. Oh, he's going to love us. Gonna um, <laughs> everybody, give a shout out to super producer Frank Kablawi. Yeah. Um, so we'll be back next week. Uh, check out the Hugh, Hugh Fink episode, and then we'll be back next week with something else that we haven't figured out yet. But until then, <laughs> nerds out! This has been a non productive media presentation. Executive producer Frank Hablawi. This program and many others like it on the non productive network is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution non commercial no derivatives license. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non productive.com.